Hey folks, welcome to episode 139 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Tanya George. Tanya is a kettlebell instructor from uh, Switzerland. She's been training with kettlebells for five years and teaching people how to train with kettlebells for two years. She's a quality kettlebell advocate and trainer who loves to juggle kettlebells and share her passion with others. To get in touch with Tanya and learn more about her kettlebell program, you can find her on steelworkfitness.com and also on Instagram at pipa underscore KB Lifter. You can find all those links in the show notes um, or on becominghumanpodcast.com. It's this conversation was awesome. We got to delve into um, her perspective on like how you approach weightlifting from, you know, what your, your goals and ambitions are, how much you push yourself. Um, and it's a very personal experience. And and I like to hear what Tanya's experience was like. Um, we really talk about, you know, one of her favorite things, which is um, kettlebell juggling. And she has a lot of interesting insight on that. Um, juggling's a, a beautiful thing. Like, it's, it's so much fun. <laughs> um, but before I play you in or play the episode, um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about our sponsor, which is um, the Daily Stoic they send a email, um, or you can listen to their uh, podcast, which is the same thing, just an audio version. It's like it only takes five minutes of your time. It's a very short, succinct, and impactful amount of information that can help you change your life or reframe some perspectives. Um, Ryan Holiday uses um, wisdom from the Stoics, and he adapts that to, to modern life. It's. I think it's uh, awesome that we can take the our history, and people's views across time and space, and apply that to our own lives. We can take people's lifetimes of information and integrate that into our own lives. We don't have to go through all those experiences ourselves. Um, I really like Ryan's take on it. It's beautiful. It can adapt to all different worldviews. Um, and stoicism is more than just, you know, not feeling anything. It's not even that at all. It's, it's a very interesting way to um, interface with life. But you can find that at uh, dailystoic.com and then on Instagram, Facebook is Daily Stoic. You can also subscribe to their podcast, Daily Stoic, and make sure to let them know that... Uh, Will from the Becoming Human podcast sent you so you can support the show. And at the end of the episode, I'm going to play you out with a beautiful song called Blackbird by Tosh Sultana. Without any further ado, here is Tanya. just you know sort of spin this out for, for the next couple of minutes and then think of you know think of what my next move is it's like continuous all the time like you, it's one move to the next 
yeah, you have no there's no time for hesitation like whatsoever right and doesn't your doesn't your no, mind there's only one movement, like the static hold if you hold it over, uh, above above your head that will give you a couple of seconds to think about you know what what the next what the next moves are but generally speaking you can't be thinking about you know what's for dinner or um yeah why well, have to take the trash out you know you, you you can't do that so for me there were two aspects there was the um the fact that I didn't like it and I wanted to like it, like I, I just, I wanted it to like me basically. Yeah. That was more, <laughs> it was more that way around. And the other thing was that it was, it gave me um, every day, like I would, you could, you could do a double flip. Like you've, I've been doing single flips and then the next day you'll do a double flip and it will just like be by chance. And you've tried it 50 times and, and you've dropped it every time. And all of a sudden you catch it and you're like, it's, it's the greatest feeling that like once a week, you know, if I try like new thing. The other thing it taught me was that failure was okay because juggling, yeah, if I see people do a sport, like they'll hit a ball and they'll hit it for the third time and the fourth time and they'll start getting annoyed. I'd have to flip a bell 50 times before I even think about getting annoyed. I'd drop it, you know, continuously. And it's just like, pick it up and go again, pick it up and go again. And at the same time, it was like, well, I'm, I'm sweating, you know, even after all this failing, I'm still sweating. So I'm doing the, the, the body work. It's just the mind, which has to be, which has to go, you know, go with the flow sort of thing. So um, I learned, and I'm not sure if this would help, mm -hmm. assuming it would, that like little little failures if you train yourself in failing on a small scale daily or weekly that when a big challenge comes and you you could fail that you might be able to deal with it better than yeah. if you don't yourself fail on a regular basis you're training it you're training your brain to be okay with and like I'm really competitive. I'm not the one to say, whoa, failed. Yep, that's it. You know, that's it for me. That's cool. Yeah. That's one of the fabulous. It still gets to me, but I've just learned to be really, um, really persistent. And that's some, definitely something which, which juggling has taught me. So I've learned a lot about myself. I've like, I, I can't dance. I'm not super coordinated. Uh, this has really helped me as well. You know, it's wow. like, um, yeah, it's it's just uh, in the dynamics yeah. that you get from it are interesting too because you make you you said like you know two things with um, the experience of juggling where when you're juggling your your mind has like no other option but to be be in the moment and to to think about the, the catch the release and the transitions um, and then also when you, you drop it and you drop it, you know, frequently, right. Cause it's just the nature of, of juggling um, kettlebells that you, you become, you know, used to failure and it's a very small failure. Right. And you mm. still are getting like getting your exercise, right. So you're getting that intensity, mm. but then when you pick it back up again, it's almost like, you know, you're swept away in the current of the present moment. So like, even if, you you know you get caught in the little these small failures i imagine because of the nature of it it's easy to become present again because you just pick it up start throwing it again and your mind uh -huh. just like oh kettlebell time and focuses cuz yeah. is is your experience when when you say that like for people out there who haven't 
juggled or haven't had a similar experience like that. When you when you say your mind is like is is present, you know, and it only can focus on the task at hand, um, is that is that a conscious effort on your part, or is that a natural phenomena that comes from when you are throwing the bell? It's definitely it's definitely natural because in anything else that I would do, I would I would try to zone out and think about something else whilst you're juggling. I mean, it's it's a moving weight. Um, I usually juggle with eight k, which isn't super heavy, but if you if like the eight k is above your head and it's free falling towards your foot, you know you're gonna <laughs> it's it's it, you're gonna feel it. Let's put it that way. Um, so you have to be super alert um coordinated and really quick on your feet that said of like a thousand drops i've probably only dropped it on my foot once so um as far as injury is concerned um definitely haven't had any ex any experiences any negative experiences what you do get is on the side to side swing um if your knees are in the way you'll get a nice little smack on the knee from the bell passing. Um, so yeah, the, the kneecap kiss, I like to call, I like to call it. <laughs> um, yeah, you have a hickey after that. <laughs> after that. <laughs> but uh, generally speaking, it's, it's like a full body workout. Like the funniest thing people ask me is, so what do you do for cardio? It's like, whoa, you know, juggle juggle for three minutes like without a break and you'll be pumping like it's not you know yeah. um it also doesn't need um a high weight so i'm not uh like a super fan of uh the heavier the better not at all like i would prefer a lighter bell and more reps and i think generally speaking there's there's a lot of importance put on on heavy weights which in my view is firstly unnecessary secondly untrue and thirdly will keep people from trying because they'll look at it and go i can't do that you know and it's like well nobody started like that you know so yeah. let's you know let's try and make this easier for people who want to join who might feel a bit intimidated by everything let's you know go light and and easy and build up from there um and the other thing is, there's a lot of people who work with heavy weights. I want to see them in 15 years time, you know, see if they're still sort of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they're still lifting, like, yeah. Exactly. That's cool. Like I'm, I'm 46. You know, I want to be, I want to be healthy. I want to, I want to have fun. It's, it's got to have, it's got to be balanced. It's, it's got to excite me. I've got to get out of my, my bubble and do something different. Um, yeah. Put yourself so, in that comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where I, I talk to people about with, like, I really love Indian clubs. And, you know, I talk to a lot of people about that with Indian clubs. Like, my experience with it is, you know, getting, like, a, a metal club and trying to get one that's, like, 10 pounds. And then realizing that um, a lot of it is uh, teaching you, like, movement, right? And you're not wanting an excessive amount of weight so that you're straining through the movement. You want to be able to go into flow. And, and like, mm -hmm. and that there's like, there's a level of, you know, benefit there and you get to build a relationship with your body and a level of like coordination, right. And then stimulate blood flow so that you can promote like a healing yeah. through, so you could recover yeah. from your sport and stuff. And it's like, it's not always just like lift big weights. And you know what I learned that from 
it's like a it's like a core tenant in ultra running because when you do ultra running um like 80 percent of your running is easy like actually easy you can have a conversation you can do it all day because the point of it is is high volume low intensity right uh-huh. and like the the feelings that you get from that where like when i'm doing the high volume low intensity you realize that like or my experience and listening to the ultra running community it's one of the easiest ways to prevent burnout to prevent overtraining uh-huh. like to to keep yourself from being injured right and, mm-hmm. and like you get into this thing where you learn over time that people might get into um kettlebells or get into weightlifting or running even to improve a metric right like get a uh, a certain mile per hour for running um or pace and then to lift a certain amount of weight or same with the kettlebell move up to a certain weight and it's that whole like the process is the ultimate goal right it's not like the destination which is kind of cliche but the re- the other the thing is is like the relationship with just doing it and learning to enjoy it uh-huh. right and learning to love it without trying to like attain something because the the, the process is, is genuinely fun like i found that with juggling kettlebells is like i would do the similar thing where i would get a heavier weight because i'm like striving really hard right putting a lot of expectations uh-huh. on myself and i realized that i wasn't even able to access the joy of the experience and so then I bring the weight down just, just below, you know, a little less, and then I'm having fun. And then yeah. without even realizing it, like I'm getting a workout in, but I don't always have to get a workout in to justify the fun. It's just good, healthy yeah. fun. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's, what, I mean, each to his own, like there are people who want to lift heavy weights. That's cool. All I'm saying is that it's not for everyone. And I think it's wrong if we, if, we give the impression that that is the only way because it's not, you know, and um, like I said, I, you know, I, I usually juggle 8K, I could juggle 12K. It would be a, a lot more strenuous. Um, the chances of injury would be higher and that's enough for me to say do 8K and go for longer, you know, that's the, it's, yeah. I, th- I think it's really important to just give people different options and not make them feel that, you know, this is the only way, like, you know, this from Indian clubs as well, like mobility is for me, super important. Yeah. I like to have, I like to be able to take my shoulder, you know, high. And if you always have mm-hmm. the same move, the one movement, you're going to stiffen uh, certain parts. So stuff like yoga, kettlebell juggling, Indian clubs, you know, all these um, animal flow in, in yoga as well. It's you know, all these beautiful movements, which just make your body feel all round, um, like fit and, and supple, which I wouldn't get from just training weights Yeah, for me. You know, I, I just need that. Like, yeah, like I said, it's a lot of it has got to do with balance. Mm-hmm. you know looking after yourself generally it's you get i get that kind of when i meet people in like the a lot of it's i guess climbing running martial arts right more martial arts than anything else but um where it's like this is what i want to do all the time and it's like martial arts martial arts martial arts and it's like the the overall like the holistic approach right is looking at like well how mobile are you like do you have a lot of mobility you know what does your cardio look like and what is your stability look like right like you can call it strength but really what's your stability look like 
you know, and is everything operating effectively? And what I find is, is I find a lot of people who are like very much diehards and they're doing this and their body's like kind of unraveling on them a little bit, you know, they're, they're losing their mobility in certain areas. They're not able to do like daily functions. And like, I really admire them for, for how passionate and how in love they are with the activity. Cause it's just a time demand, right? We only have so many times so much time in the day, but like, just try to figure out how to, you know, convey that, like that, that balanced, well-rounded approach without saying like, you know, mobility or yoga or anything like that is something that you should do. Because I, I believe that like kind of what you're saying is, is when you get into it, and if you practice it consistently, there's this like, there's this draw to it. There's this like, this, this feeling that you get out of it that I'm pretty sure would hook a lot of people in their own way, right? Um, and it's just, I always try to figure out different ways to convey that. And I almost like to do what, what you talk about with reducing the weight, right? Um, to reducing the time spent doing the activity. Because people will be mm. like, oh, I need to do an hour yoga class. It's like, you can do like a 15-minute yoga class and you're probably yeah. way better off because you're going to yeah. actually do that 15-minute yoga class. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you, you do practice yoga? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Did you yeah. talk about how you got into that? Um, a good friend of mine who went to CrossFit, she's a, she's a yoga instructor. And um, so for pretty much all her exams she sort of took me as <laughs> her victim <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah um yeah because for the exams it was like you you know you've got to teach a beginner and i was like okay yeah i could i can do the beginner i can do that yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah I, I i try to incorporate anything that i can into um like yoga is really important for me. So I, I wouldn't say I stretch. I do yoga before before I do, do a, a kettlebell set, for example. Um, and I just find it really, really mindful and, and calming. And um, yeah, it's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's more the mental aspect as well. Like for me, it's very, very relaxing. Um, I've, I've fallen asleep before after a yoga class, just gone, you know, yeah, oh, flat wow. out. I'm like, ooh, this is good. So, yeah, I, I like that. Um, I think, like, for kettlebells as well, one aspect which we haven't touched on is self-discipline. Like, that's something I've really learned. So when I, when I saw kettlebells the first time, I was like, I really was looking for something which I could um, – I wasn't um, – I didn't have to go to the gym, which I could do at home of like a small two um, two room apartment, uh, which didn't take up much space, uh, which was a full body workout, which did uh, cardio. Um, and yeah, where I could just like be for myself and I wasn't super good on self-discipline. So, you know, you were touching on the New Year's resolution thing. I've done that a couple of times. Me it's too. like, okay, <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be the year. I'm just going to be fucking amazing. You know, but come come the end of the year, I'm superwoman. And come February, you're like, oh, I can't do this anymore. So my deal with myself was that, okay, I'll give you something which you can do at home, but then you, you've got to do it. Like, there's no more excuses. I don't like gym showers or the machines were full or there were too many people or, you know, you're, you're going to get something to do at home and but you're going to you're going to do it. 
So that's when I was sort of looking into kettlebells and um, that was something which I really had to work on was self-discipline. So there were no more excuses for me. You know, I'd get up in the morning, the kettlebells uh, there sitting, looking at me going, good morning, uh, you can have a cup of coffee and then we're good to go. Um, so yeah, that's been really cool. Like, otherwise, like during when I went to CrossFit, it would be, I would, in, you know, write in for a class and then I would go and whether I felt like it or not, and then I'd come home and it'd be like, okay, that, that was okay. But I really wanted to, um, master this myself you know I really wanted mm. to learn help motivate and I wouldn't say I was lazy but I was a really comfortable person like I yeah going out of your comfort zone my idea is like widening your comfort zone so making more more things or more situations part of your comfort zone so that you feel comfortable moving in those so um, as opposed to going out of my bubble it would be make my bubble bigger and doing sports on my own, like having the self-discipline to get up in the morning and do that was part of the deal. So that's what I had to do. And it took me probably about three months of, oh God, why am I doing this to myself? To, uh, you know, cool, this is cool. Get up in the morning, part of my routine, you know, um, yeah. Do do my sports, have breakfast, and that was just part of my my daily thing. Um, and then yeah, with the juggling, it was like a good excuse to go out and train because obviously that's not going to happen inside. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going there. Um, so that was like okay, now I've got to go out to do this. Um, comes rain, snow, you know, whatever. I'm just out. And you don't always have the time to take a weekend off and go hiking. And I didn't want to sort of always wait for, you know, the weekend to go out and, and do stuff. So it was my chance to just grab a bell, go outside, do something for an hour. And um, yeah, I'd been out, done sport and, and, felt, and felt good to come home. So that was really, there was a lot of aspects of kettlebell training in general and particularly kettlebell juggling. Um, yeah, and I've been teaching a few people now during the lockdown. Um, it's really cool to see, you know, successes and they'll send me videos and it's a really visual thing. So it's like cool to, it's cool to look at. People like, you know, doing their videos and then sending them and you'll see and it, it, there's no bullshitting, like there's no yeah. cheating, you know, it's like you, you, you nail it or you don't. And, um, and that's yeah. why I think it's like, it, that's an important thing. Like I think about it a lot, like with my son, right. Goal teaching someone to set goals is can be a very complicated thing. And mm -hmm. you, it's really hard to like explain it away. Right. Or to over explain it. But once again, it's, it's pretty easy in, in using kettlebells or like using some kind of like exercise component. Right. Because, it is very visual. Like you can touch it, mm -hmm. you can feel it, it's tangible. And like, and it's a genuine feeling of like effort inside, right? And those things I feel like in the micro, in, a, in the small world can teach goal setting for the whole life, like as a whole. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it also has rewards in it because we would work with like we would do behavioral training for for kids in the, the school that I worked at and it would always be like we have a like the 
we were to look at kettlebells, right? We would have the desire for you to um, to maybe have some level of of strength, right? Um, just for longevity. Okay, let's let's just go off of that. And then the what they would do is is they would look at this kiddo and it'd be like, okay, what's your interests? And we're gonna find some kind of external thing to reward you with. And that's the, the, it's not like a, I don't want to generalize and say it's a flaw of like, you know, just teaching, but I think that has a lot of limitations because then you're doing the activity to get an external reward that is unrelated to the activity in and of itself. So you're only doing it because someone set up a condition that if you do this, you get this other thing. Like you get to watch a movie, you get to play a game. And then like, in reality, you're not really teaching that person, like, you know, how to learn or like how to, how to put forth effort for their own self care. You're, you do you know what I mean? You're, you're just getting them to do that because you created the condition for the reward. And if you do that to yourself, like, Oh, if I exercise, I get this thing on the weekend, right? Like if you set that kind of dynamic up, you're still not, um, engaging with the exercise or that activity for the sake of it you're not finding the intrinsic reward in the thing so i don't see how that's sustainable throughout your life or at least it's not as powerful if you're like i do kettlebells because it's this ritual to get me outside and it really gets me into the flow state and those things feel inherently good the more i do these kettlebell things um with a balanced approach the better i feel because of the kettlebells not because I allowed myself to do something because I did this thing. Cause that would mean that you didn't even like the thing. Right. Mm. And then, then what are you doing? Are you like punishing yourself or, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, cause I'm trying to just understand, you know, sometimes it's, it's like um, the external reward <laughs> for like a time being would then trigger um, a relationship to the action itself. Mm-hmm. So not you, you'll be getting a, a reward every time, but, um i'm thinking like like training for example so what mm-hmm. i did with my dog with training of like you know he'd get he'd get something every time he did the correct thing and then and then it wouldn't be um it wouldn't be a cookie anymore it would just be a stroke and that would be fine and he'd end up doing it anyway you know even without the reward so like oh, okay this is I'm not sure if if um, going by animals is the right way. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have well, kids, so it's hard to I, say. I, I but would I say work. with the animals, um, I I would say with like from a place of like research, right? Um, it it definitely would be because there's a lot of books that are on dog training and they've been referred for parents for kiddos. That's anecdotal, mm-hmm. but for the research, there's a college here, the University of like uh, Washington. And they do dog behavior research and they do that mm-hmm. as like the psychology department so that they can understand um, human behavior and, and then also mm-hmm. how to, how to teach people in that way. Cause they find that like the correlation there is really strong anyway. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wonder if, you know, if like, if you externally reward your son over mm-hmm. a time for something, whether then somewhere that trigger will then be, you know, this feels good automatically. And we get a lot of like childhood memories, which make us feel good. Like you'll smell something or you'll see something or you'll hear something and it triggers something in your mind and you know, it's from before and you can't quite put your finger on it, but it just feels warm and good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, that might be the same thing with the trigger, but I, I really yeah. couldn't say from a logical point of view. I'm, I'm really not that. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't say. I haven't studied that. Uh, yeah, oh, it's hard I, to say, isn't it? Uh, it is, and that's where you know it's uh, like we were saying before how how important mental health is in in fitness. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, fitness can help your mental health so it's like the chicken and the egg situation you know whereas which first and which do you do more or less of um it's hard to say if anyone is like for me when when i said on i got into crossfit and i was like doing all bits of sport but nothing really and i you know i was 40 and i wanted to do something seriously for me um it was out of like a like a place of desperation. Like I wanted mm. to do something. You know? I wanted to, to, I wanted to get healthy somehow. And um, yeah, I guess for, for a lot of people, it just, um, you you have to decide, you, know, you have to do a certain amount of sport to be mentally healthy. That's how I feel. I don't think anyone, I don't know, but I can't imagine like the woman on the sofa with the takeaway pizzas and the 12 cats. I, I, she could yeah. probably be superficially held happy, but I don't think there's really like there'll be a deep happiness there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yeah, that's really important for me. So I knew that I could only be happy by being physically fit. Like I knew that was going to be part of the process, um, but I didn't want it to take over. Mental health was really important. But for me, it went hand in hand, like the, mm-hmm. the, the better I was in my head, the better I felt physically and the other way around you know i don't know if it works like that for everyone um that's what i'm trying to like observing or whatever my own experience and from the workplace because i said i worked with like emotionally behaviorally delayed children and the common theme there is a lot of people working there um probably weren't like the best um it was really hard for them to be able to do the job in some way and handle the stress and it's a very stressful job right it's probably like one of the most um kind of like stressful jobs because you you have kids that are like genuinely like shut the lights off and trying to stab you or like you know lock you outside of the school and then throw rocks at you um like you know and and you'd see these people in these extreme situations that are very intense and like most of the time they would almost add to the to the problem right where they'd get like escalated themselves they'd start yelling right they'd start like you know being very stressed out and then acting from that place and you'd have to um you'd come in even getting hired right and you'd get like like hey here's some like warnings of these kinds of people right you're not only working with like really challenging students you're almost working with really challenging staff at the same time too and by nature of the job it's like it's not the hardest job to get right but it is in terms of you being an okay person and packing, passing a background check and like mandated reporter, all those things. Um, and so when I get in there and I see that, I'm really confused. And I'm confused because of my interactions are um, when it's really stressful scenario. Um, my, it wasn't that stressful for me to, to manage. Like it wasn't necessarily easy, but... I wasn't really having as hard of a time as a lot of the other staff members and I didn't have any experience in that. And like, there were a lot of things I didn't understand why. The only thing that I had in my head was that like, I'm not like some unique, like special person, right? Cause like, that's very unlikely. 
I'm um, there's something else. And I like looked at it and getting to know these people over time. Uh, generally, the I don't know how it's like around like in your culture. Um, and I don't want to say it's the whole United States either. Um, but a big culture was like you you go to work, you come home, you take care of your house, um, you take care of your kids if you have them, you relax, um, get ready for the next day. And then on your weekend, you know, you usually have something that you know. You sometimes have something you look forward to. Usually you use it as a time to relax. And like, and I'm not, I'm trying to be careful with over generalizing, but like this mm-hmm. thing where I look at you and I didn't even know what you did for, for work on you. Like I, I knew that, that you did, that you like kettlebells, right? And like when people interact with me, the first things that usually you identify me, I don't identify myself sometimes but like as like oh this person really likes to run and likes to rock climb and likes to do martial arts or whatever and it's not that i'm not committed to my work maybe one day those things will overlap but there's this like this passion this love for something like this obsessive quality that i have about these things um and that was different so at the very least i'm like well i'm not unique but like the our lifestyles and our values are very different mine compared to like these people who worked here and then they were needing, they always need people to fill, fill the job, um, you know, mm-hmm. and they usually like are looking for men because men don't fill these jobs very much, I guess. And they're like, mostly these are boys in this situation and they need a lot of help. Um, and it helps for them to have male role models and I don't know, whatever. Um, so I went into my martial arts gym and I'm trying to recruit people from there because I realized that I might be at odds with this environment. And usually I'd be like, oh, whatever, this is just, this is how it is. But I wanted to be, to do something about it. I wanted to be responsible and I wanted to, you know, to do whatever I could. So I recruit two people from martial art, from the martial arts gym, and they, they work in this position. Um, They are then held in like some of the highest regard um, for, for their abilities uh, to be patient, right. And to be able to respond to stressful situations um in a very with a measured attitude and they're very um like they can read people's body language really well um they're able to, to communicate with them they're a really good role model because like with the, the kiddos get really excited and look forward to hanging out with them and playing with them these people are the people who are like actually playing with them during recess you know instead of like just monitoring them and that like changed that whole world with them because then they talk and they're like, oh, will you train me? Will you like, can we go do this? And, you know, and like all of these things. And, and then I wondered, like, I don't like yourself. Like, I don't really understand. I don't want to create an ideology. I don't really know what's going on here. And that's where I see these kiddos. They really struggle, but I give them running, right? And we connect and build a bond through running and they don't hurt me as much. And like, Mm. I could tell them, Hey, be nice to me. We're supposed to be friends, man. But like, if I put us, if I make them in an uncomfortable situation through sport or through um, play, right. Um, Like, you know, going to the heights or whatever. Right. And they're genuinely kind of scared, but they're safe. um, Then they trust me in a way that I could, I can't replicate. And like, I don't know what's going on with this activity and how it's developing people's mind or how it's developed my mind. And I look back at myself before I did these things and I feel like I, but it's all anecdotal and I don't really know. I feel like I have a lot more skills um, personally and also socially. And I I just don't know what, it it, it has me confused because like I see my mom and she's sedentary and always has been sedentary and like she's 60 and really hurting. 
and, and in like the the things that we talk about like she's coming to certain realizations that i came to through through sport or mm. through some creative endeavor um and i still just can't really wrap my head around that because i don't want to yeah and yeah yeah it's weird with the with the kids i mean kudos i mean it's it's really cool i i i have full respect for people who work in in you know those kind of jobs um yeah it would practically mean that the people who are um who are authorized to do those jobs are don't actually have the correct tools to do so i can understand like for a kid i'm sure with learning difficulties or or disabilities it, it's it's frustrating like a lot of a lot of his or her life will just be frustration that you know it's it, there's anger there's there's probably trauma um and a lot of frustration and i'm sure they get to hear you know you know do this do that and don't do this and don't do that and for them to to even if it's just hanging from a bar it's super like positive experience it's you know for them in themselves like i can do this i think that's really important you know it's whether it's physical or i don't know learning to play three notes on a guitar or you know just something where where you feel wow i can actually do this you know i can do i can do something and it gives like this tiny little drop of satisfaction and lots of drops will then become you know like self-confidence or self-worth mm -hmm. It's like I was saying with 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 the fails in in kettlebell juggling. You know, it's just like one, and then you have fifty, and fifty isn't that bad, and then you can do a hundred fails, and you're still not upset, and and it's just a, a huge learning curve. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a shame that that's not actually the disposition of helping kids like that. That mm -hmm. should be the norm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's like. Um, what it's like here uh but yeah there's like there's a lot of sort of interaction with with animals here that's what they do oh, with a lot of that's cool so yeah animals are like uh, a big thing in therapy um here sport not so much but um i mean yeah physical therapy probably but not not sports as in let's go out in the forest and just yeah. run you know mm -hmm. let's do crazy stuff or jump logs or look for bugs or i don't know what you know just yeah. get out there and, and just do stuff and not necessarily in a room with like a medicine ball and and, mm -hmm. and a hammer you know yeah. just more jump in the lake it's fun you know i don't know live life like really just like embrace life because you find out when yeah. you're like an adult like nobody really understands entirely what the fuck's going on like, no, you know what I mean? no. like it's like it's yeah. not and that's what i thought about all the time in that school because like i found out that like when i look at the when i look at it from like my top-down view in this like institution or whatever and reflecting on the institution that i grew up in it's like this you know this this um this teacher because i am you know a behavior technician so i'm supporting the behavior not the actual not the teacher in and of itself the teacher though has like metrics that they go off of and kind of like what we we're talking about you show up and you're trying to be healthy right for the the result one day to have this like idea of fitness and or to like to lift that weight 
right? Like not in the process, but you're just like, you're, you're striving for this, for this idea you have in your head. And I'd find that not with every teacher, I don't want to generalize, but often was the case because of the metrics were like, you have certain things that you have to do as a teacher to be, to reflect, to do your job and to keep your job. Right. And that it, and it has to be by nature of it, kind of, um, where you're like, you're trying to do that. Like you're getting focus and attention because you have to teach this curriculum because the curriculum has to get done by a certain amount of time and they have tests and, and all of these things. And like, it completely missed that point. Like, it's just like when you're teaching people with kettlebells, you know, it's almost like, yeah, so we're, you're going to get here and one day you're going to be able to lift this kettlebell. And it's like, like, there's, there's so much more to that, like process. Like what is your relationship with failure? How do we teach you how to be okay with failure. Cause that's like the kiddos, they would address like, Oh, we need more work. Let's figure out how to give them more um, external rewards. I like what you said about phasing external rewards to intrinsic rewards. I think that's really spot on, but they would just be like pump out external rewards. Cause I got to meet, I got to do my job and never addressing the underlying fact. Like this kid has a, in particular that I'm thinking of um, has a traumatic relationship with failure that's probably more important than whatever academics that you're trying to give them right now. Like, in, you know, like let's try to figure out what their relationship is with failure and what kind of activities that they like to do that will teach them how to be okay with failure. Just like what you're talking about, you know, and, and like, well, like when, yeah, being, being an adult can be really shit. Like, you know, if, if you don't sort of, if you, if you lose, that side of adventure and I mean you know I wouldn't want to be around if it was like okay you you know act grown up it's like what what is grown up anyway yeah you know you know who say what's grown up where's the book you know I I like I just don't the, the process is so important like the that's the whole that's really the whole thing isn't it it's trying to show people that the process is actually the whole thing yeah it's the result is so so secondary it's you might not even reach it and it won't even matter yeah. like when we, were, when we were building this um our first um our first container thing conversion um people would say to us why don't you just pay for someone to do it and i was like why would i do that well because you'd have it quicker you know for what like, where am I going? I'm, I, this is the whole, that, that's the whole idea. I want to build something myself. Like, this is why I got it, you know? And yeah. It was just, you know, but we're adults now. We pay people to do stuff. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm going to build this myself. And, I, yeah. and like I said, now we've gone on to the van conversion. It's like, I really couldn't care less how long it takes. It's just mm-hmm. the whole process. And then one day we'll have it and we'll go traveling in it. And until then we'll just build it. And it's, yeah, it's, that's cool. People lose sight of that. Like mm-hmm. it's always about results. And we teach that at school. We teach, you know, that results is key. And uh, what you have at the end of the day is, is, um, is a grade. And on the other hand, like 10 years later, no one's going to ask for your grades. You know, it's just yeah. like, so was it so important? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just really weird. It's like, I, I sometimes compare it to like when you have a baby and you teach it to burp and every time it burps, you go, you go, yeah, that's, you know, well done. That's cool. And then it comes, to the page, 
then it comes to an age where it's like it burps. It's like you don't do that, and it's like what, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> like it was cool, and this week it's like the worst thing, you know. Yeah. That you should I, I, yeah, sometimes it's like, I, I don't get it. Like, what, I th- yeah. Like, I think that it's, it's interesting what you, what you said, you know, earlier about like using you, cause that's what they, in the behavioral thing, that's the goal with like teaching someone a new behavior um, from this, like this, the system. Right. Um, and that comes from like, I don't know, this, this psychology program and very well researched and, and like, it's like a whole, like, um very well thought out process and detailed and within like the um the, the the school or i don't really understand but it's within psychology right um and the the real goal is is what you said which was what you do with your dog where you have external rewards right and then you slowly phase out the external reward so that they um then are now using the internal or intrinsic reward from the activity in and of itself but the impulse that I find without even knowing like any of the research um, at all, just being a parent or being responsible for somebody else or yourself even is like external reward for, you know what I mean? That's it like that. Cause I think about that all the time when I need my kid to do anything, like here's an external reward or an external consequence so that you, you go and do that right without the strategy of saying, okay, my ultimate goal is, is for you to do it because, um, you, there's a, you want, either you want to do it or you understand why you should do it. Right. I don't need to reward you to do it anymore. And so I need to start with the reward and phase it out all too often. It's like bribe, 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 bribe. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. like, and that's kind of where that, that pitfall is with our own relationship, um, to our, to ourselves, I, I think can sometimes be, um, where like, you know, you're just all external rewards without thinking about how do I um, find the internal reward from doing this activity. Um, but all of that's jargon and mumbo jumbo. Because this is something that you reminded me of, is that you're juggling, you mentioned guitar, so not just fitness, right? Like learning the guitar, you get juggling, you like to snowboard. Um, you know what you're doing? And you know what all the children do, too? You see this in kids all the time. You're playing. Because mm-hmm. you know, like, think about it. You have a jungle gym. They play on the jungle gym. They do physical play. Then they go, they, there's some creative play that they might do, right? If you put them in a room, they want to play, right? There's this thing that happens with adults that I think kind of that I brushed up against and didn't know how to define earlier is that it's like work, relax, um, and chores. And then like play is usually leisure. You know, I, I don't want to generalize, but I, I find that it's like, let's watch something, you know, let's even like, let's go drive and go check something out. But mm. I've built, I'm coming to this place where there's like play is like, I want to go run up to this volcano in, in the middle of summer. That's like mm. my A play, right? It's not even a goal. Like if I, if I'm playing, cause when kids play mm-hmm. how it looks in a natural setting without any of the ego and the identity when they're younger is that they play. They want to feel good and be fed so they could play as much as Uh they can and play doesn't get interrupted. Socializing's got to go smooth. So play doesn't get interrupted. And then they, they play and not thinking about after play or before play. And then when they're done, it's like, Oh, play. And that, that has like generations or just people around me lose that at some point. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I'm an adult now. I don't play, but I almost find that there's atrophy 
or I'm afraid that there might be atrophy when you don't play, whether it's physical atrophy, mental atrophy. I'm afraid to try new things. I'm afraid to like whatever it is, you know, Mm. and and it's yeah. So if I were to simplify it, not exercise, not nothing, it just seems like it seems like play. A lot of people um, like a lot of friends of mine who have kids, it's funny, they would say, you know, okay, when did you stop sort of doing stuff like that? You know, oh, it's when the kids came along, you know, they take up so much time. It's like, but kids are perfect for playing. Like, (laughs) you can do stuff with kids, you know? When they're small, you can throw them around and when they're big enough, they can run with you. And, you know, it's just like, that's just use. It's just not, you know? So, yeah, I think um, it's it's sad if if that gets lost. Like I, I know from my, like I've analyzed this and, and I know from, from me, it probably stems from when I was like a kid. Uh, I had two brothers growing up and about 12 cousins, all were boys. So for me, I was like the only girl in a big family of boys. And, um, I was used to be dressed up. You know, I was like my, my mother's daughter. And I was also the daughter of several aunts because they all had boys so I would get all the dresses and I was you know I would have to wear a dress and the boys would be running up the the garden trees and having fun and climbing and I'd be sitting inside with my dress I'm not allowed to go out because it shouldn't get dirty I'm not allowed to so then I just I must have been about six or seven where I was like I'm not wearing these dresses anymore because dresses mean no play you know for me it was like Boys, shorts, play, girls, dresses, no play. So I just started putting on my brother's clothes and climbing trees with them. And my aunt was like, oh, no, you know, that's it. We've lost our only, we've lost our only girl. But I was having so much fun. It was like, whoa, you know, like, why should girls be doing the boring stuff and boys have all the fun, you know? Yeah. (laughs) You know, that was... Yeah, I I, wow. I reckon that comes from there for me, where I was just like, you know, yeah, a lot of things that you guys can do, like you can have fun for a lot longer than than girls. That's how mm-hmm. I felt, you know. Yeah. Get to use stuff like tools and and chainsaws and. Oh, you thought that was cool. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I want to have a go at that. You know, I, I I don't wanna, I don't want to be a boy. I want to be a girl who can do everything like yeah. stuff like stuff and yeah that's so that's where it came from for me it was definitely you know this this idea of going out and 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 just oh, i just love it you know i love birds i love animals i love leaves and trees and and yeah clouds and i just it's just amazing like you go outside and it's what more do you want you know yeah, yeah. nature is so healing like, and I'm not talking about going out and, you know, hugging trees and being all, um, <laughs> being all soft about it, but it really is really fucking cool out there. You know, it's yeah. like, if you, you can just, just look at what nature does, or if you see like ants at work and stuff like just, yeah. Well, do you get like, is that your experience when you have the ritual of going juggling in the park? Because I go out rock climbing and my relationship with rock climbing is very special because it's the only thing that puts me in a small space, right? I have a rock wall and I might be moving a hundred feet vertically, 
but I'm on that wall for like six hours solving, you mm -hmm. know, very intricate little problems, right? I have like a whole world of problems in front of me, but I never move and I get quiet and pretty still. So then it's like animals start coming in more. You know, I'm watching mm -hmm. all the eagles and, and hawks soaring above. Um, and there's no other, I think about it a lot. And other than going to the park with my son, but I'm like out in the you know wilderness, right? Um, there's no other time where I just like hole up in a little spot for for hours at a time. And mm. it's it's beautiful that something brings me out there to do that. It's my ritual that takes me out there and allows me to access that experience. Because I wouldn't just, I'd like to think I would, but I wouldn't just sit there for six hours, you know, in the woods. <laughs> in one spot and just like quiet unless I was like yeah exactly and do you, do you get that with the with the your ritual of going to the park um with your kettlebell since that keeps you there yeah I get, I, do, I do get that although I probably wouldn't be able to compare it to to rock climbing because it really is for me like for example if I could have easier access to snowboarding that would probably bring me closer uh, yeah. to Experience in rock climbing although it is moving it's very sort of it's very tunnel and it's very in the moment and yeah. i get that struggling as well but it definitely is more a form of training than like the whole experience thing mm -hmm. so um there's a lot of there's a lot of concentration uh in in kettlebell juggling i i kind of don't get to enjoy like the, the birds or you know the rustling of the leaves or stuff because i really am so concentrated on my next move of course i do other things um when i'm not juggling so if i'll if i go to the park and snatch then yes i will be listening but then that's the whole notion of not being able to um zone out completely like i do in kettlebell juggling so um oh, that's interesting um the snowboarding for me would probably come closer to that where it's just like the speed and and the one with nature and the snow and like surroundings and the wind going past that's yeah probably closer to that for you yeah how long have you been snowboarding for oh um i started when i was 14 so that's yeah 30 wow. 30 plus years yeah that's yeah. rad. You've been doing it like, is it something that's been your favorite, one of your favorite activities for a really long time then, like throughout? Yeah, when, like, I was born in, my mum's Swiss and my dad's English, so um, I was born in England and then we moved to Switzerland when I was a teenager and it was like tough because you're leaving all your friends behind and you know, you're never going to make friends again and I want to die and I don't want to be here and I'm going to get my next plane out even though you're like 12. It's like, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, so the, like in, in England, I was, I learned to ski, but it was like an up, like, an, like a brush, like an upside down brush, like a huge chunk of brush. Cause we didn't have any, any snow. So oh, you, wow. I'd be like, that, that was like really weird. If you fell, it would just rip out all your clothes and tear your skin. Oh <laughs> and then I came, and I came to Switzerland. It was like, uh, okay, I can do this on real snow. And that pretty much switched it for me where I was like, I'm not going back. Like, this is cool. Mountain. No, this is great. So that was really something that I got, I got hooked on really early, which made me sort of fall in love with the country and not just the sport. 
Mm. Um, and it's always been like, yeah, from home, it would take me now the winter's here. It's going to take me about one and a half hour to get to the next to get to the next ski resort. So it's perfect for a day, like a smaller ski resort. But um, yeah, just getting out there. And oh, I love it. I love it. That's it's great. Just, else yeah yeah oh that's that's so awesome that's what i'm getting into more um this year with my son is uh is skiing and he he really likes it how old is he he's eight. Oh, cool yeah yeah it's really cool and yeah. it's like i want to get into the ski touring um because we got several volcanoes here that you can you know you can tour up to the volcano and then you get a ski down and it just like mm -hmm it seems like a really fun way to travel in the, uh, in the wilderness. Cause it's like, it's quick, you know, going up is, is challenging and then going down is like really short and really exciting. Yeah. I love that very much. <laughs> and it's, it's that, cool. Cause that whole, that whole flowing experience, you know, it's yeah. like, I don't know, like I haven't flown, I haven't paraglided or anything like that. I haven't mm -hmm. like, but that would be pretty much, um, I, I like water sports as well. Yeah. But somehow snow is, it's different. Like it moves differently under your board and it's just so, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I love the whole setting as well. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's one thing that like, that takes you, you into, up into that setting um, and in a very enjoyable experience, or at least for me. Cause like mm -hmm. the thing is, is I'm sure a lot of people don't like being cold. Right. But doing these activities it makes it bearable and at least you're not all the time but at moments in it your core temperatures higher right and so it's you're not as cold that's what i was wondering mm -hmm. when you juggle in the park um i realize like you go outside and it's like oh oh it's really cold and it could be really hard to have that self-discipline but if you do it consistently you you i realize at least that there's a space in between the discomfort and comfort because after I exercise for a little bit, my core temperature rises and I could lay on mm -hmm. the ground in shorts and short sleeve shirt looking absurd, yeah. but like really I'm warm because of, you know, I was exercising for a few minutes. Yeah. You feel like a little oven. I got up when, when I went out this morning, it was like uh, five degrees Celsius. So that what's that about 40 Fahrenheit, 40 yeah. degrees. Fahrenheit. Yeah. So it was fresh and um, took me about five minutes. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is nice. You know, a bit yeah. stiff in the morning and it's like a little bit cold. And yeah, just like, oh, God, I could be in bed. And I was, it's like, no, nah, let's go out. And it takes literally a couple of minutes. And I was warm. And after like 10 minutes, I was sweating. And yeah, it was such a good, such a good feeling. And, and then that experience of coming home and it's like cold outside and you're hot yeah. and you have a shower you know whatever comes like whatever comes on the day you you've done it like you you've just yeah you just you've given yourself the best start you know mm -hmm. let's see what the rest of the day brings but yeah i find it's a really good way to sort of just get get going mm -hmm. and it's self discipline again you know where yeah this morning i was like oh is it really that cold and mm -hmm. same <laughs> yeah. too because it's like i'll do i do I can juggle in gloves and and like you know the full the full thing. Like I could take a coat out. There's no excuse. Like I don't have to do it in in hot pants. I can do this completely packed up. So yeah, it's like really one of these no excuse sports, which I I needed to get my get my ass in gear. 
Mm-hmm. And that's like the so integrity is something you really you learn in these situations, right? Because like most of the time, at least once a week, I would imagine, I hope, because that's more than that for me. But um, you you go up and you're like, all right, time to train, and then um, your your some thoughts come up as a result of that, right? And like now that's a question of like how do you deal with those thoughts right and this is the challenge this is like the the boss in the video game or whatever it's like mm-hmm. how do you wrestle with this you've done this before we get to try it again like let's see how we do this um yeah. what are some techniques that you've used or some like self-talk um like what does that look like for you on those challenging days um i just i know after like okay so i train four times a week um that's that's pretty much yeah my average is four times a week and and that sort of not four times a week at home i have to i have to be able to get out and do stuff uh i just know from experience that i'm gonna feel a whole lot better after i've done it i i you know that's it basically i can't pep my i can't pep talk myself into anything i i just um I just, yeah, that's basically it. I tell myself, you, you're going to love yourself when you're done. You really are going to love yourself. You're going to be so proud. And that's it, you know, and then I just get out and, and do it. So that's um, pretty much how, and it is like that. It, it, it's like that every time. It's not even like, okay, am I going to take the risk, do sport, and I might not feel better? A hundred percent. Every time I've done sport, I felt better afterwards. There's no arguing, you know, there's no, maybe it will be different this time. There's no small percentage where it doesn't work. It just gets me every time, whatever I do, you know? So um, that's like, if I could buy shares in that, I would, because it would be like, <laughs> these, these shares are going through the roof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. It's like it's one of the given things that it's going to feel so much better. Uh, the day's going to be so much more better if I do do this, and that's good enough for me. Yeah, and that that's very powerful in that way. And that's what I tried to explain to the like, kids that I worked with, or even people who haven't like. It's been a while since they've you know accessed some level of like physical intensity. Um, I'm always like try to paint it and like how you you at least i i do from running running's one that i that i feel this a lot in i can get this through strength training but now that i'm thinking about it mainly running is like especially downhill running because that carries you away to an intensity with sometimes without you realizing it um you could feel like the amount of endorphins or like mm. endogenous the, the chemicals that are getting released and how high you feel as a result of that like that's even an interesting experience in and of itself, you know, and like you can make yourself, like you said, like you literally are making yourself feel good, like chemically speaking, you know, mm-hmm. and you're, you're getting high in some fashion, but in a way that like the more that you, with a balanced approach, the more that you do this, right. The, the more stress your, your body's able to handle the, the stronger, yeah. the more stable you are. It's a way to, yeah. to get, to get high. That's like kind of very, mostly positive, you know? Yeah. And like, in the more you know, the more intense. If I, sport, if I do sport, I sleep better. Fact. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's yeah. There's no, there's no bullshitting. Like, there's, it's just a really simple thing to do, and you get so much benefit from it. Mm-hmm. 
And have you, have you, what, about had, are, are you what about diet? Like, are you hot on food or, um, or certain, um, ways of feeding yourself or I don't know, vegan, vegetarian, do you have a set menu plan? Do you, do you plan your meals? Do you eat anything and everything or? I've gone through, so I used to, I've been a, a vegan, a vegetarian, and then I did keto, low carb, um, and then paleo. And I tried at least keto. I did longer, but I did six months, six month blocks of those just because I was mm -hmm. into like self-experimentation, changing up the eating stuff. And like, I, what I feel like is um, constraints are a vehicle for creativity. Um, and I mm -hmm. like to cook. So it like mm -hmm. really brought out um, a more dynamic um, styles of cooking. Um, and then I would also incorporate kinds of foods, especially when I was like vegan or vegetarian, um, very creative and different ingredients to be able to, you know, make an enjoyable meal. And I was eating way more vegetables. But when I stopped doing that, and then I um, was doing like uh, low carb, I think I was able to incorporate what I like the foods that I would introduce myself to when I was like a vegan uh, or a vegetarian, yeah, vegan. Um, and I was able to, I would incorporate that into my meals when I was eating like keto, for example, is I would start mm -hmm. eating different like vegetables that I um, didn't have experience with in the past. While not exactly keto, like I found um, parsnips. Uh, mm. I do that like before exercise, it really jacks me up and I really don't know why. Like, I feel like, oh, really good. <laughs> and it's like, it's really weird, but I wanted to, I didn't want to find out like there was like no truths or anything. I just wanted to understand um, what feeling good was like and what like good nutrition felt like. Um, but now I, I come to, um, I, I try to eat with like the, a fat adapted diet in the summer when I'm doing like, um, lots of running and rock climbing and stuff, a, a lot of effort over throughout the whole day. I eat basically whatever I want, like a high, simple sugar diet, you know, um, and high carbs. And then in the wintertime, when I'm doing a lot of like a lot of lifting, a lot of yoga, and I'm in my house a lot, um, it's uh, a high fat, low carb diet. Um, mm -hmm. And but the, the thing that I, I shared something on my Instagram, I was reading your, a book called In Your Money, Your Life. And they talk about like, how to be more financially um, savvy, right? And like how to spend your money wisely. And they talk about something that we do in dieting, which is like um, calorie counting when you want to improve mm -hmm. your diet. And you start to like try to log all of your food, right? And that and like you log every single kind of food, you start maybe start weighing your food, right? Maybe you build up the mo motivation or the discipline to like start behaving this way. I find that that is exhausting. And mm -hmm. like, it's helpful to get a gauge of like, where am I at? But as a continual practice or ritual, it's exhausting. And it's also led me to the other extreme where like, I'm controlling everything that, I, that I'm eating. I'm being super like, um, what is it? Um, I, I'm being very like, you know, set in my ways and rigid and routine. And I don't and I'm not open to change or anything like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And like uh, it didn't feel very sustainable for me. So what I realized was what's more important than what I ate. Um, other than like eating Oreos and stuff is my relationship to the sensation, the perceived sensation of hunger, what's actual hunger and what's like, I'm bored. And how do I learn the differences between those two? 
I, I find mm -hmm. that that's probably more important for me anyways yeah. than the kinds of food that I'm eating, as long as it's not like the most terrible processed food you can imagine. Mm. What, what about you? Well, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think the relationship to food is is um, relationship and appreciation of food helps uh, helps a lot. I'm not like I love to cook. Um, my boyfriend's a chef, so we're oh, like lucky. you know we have our, <laughs> we have our <laughs> cook up championships at home. <laughs> um, so, but like I've been reading a lot about stuff like um, you know making your own bread. Um, yeah, we we make we make a lot ourselves. Like there's there's a lot of shit out there, you know, that, yeah. that you can buy. Um, yeah, and I think like balance is is really important. Um, like I was wondering if there's you know any connection for you between mental well being and diet. Was there any difference that you felt in the different kind of um, different kind of diets? So, I mean, I've I've been now we've okay not vegetarian but um we've cut out meat and fish for like the past three months mm -hmm. to, you know just to cut down basically more ethical reasons than 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 actual health reasons um and it's just it's been an ex it's been an interesting experience like we've handled it differently like my boyfriend gets slightly uh not not upset but i can tell that he has like eh, he can his his mood can sort of you know after third day no meat it's like uh yeah you know sort of bear like you know sort of uh, yeah give me your leg <laughs> <laughs> and I and I was like you know I I felt like really positive about it like I wasn't feeling what he was feeling so it was just interesting to see the difference between you know how like on the same diet two people were experiencing yeah. the, the, the differently yeah, yeah so. That's like the, the, and that's where I think the fun is because I literally, I got like the, like I have an Android phone and if you swipe all the way over to swipe all the way to the low, the right and go to the last page, it has like all your, your news suggestions and stuff. So I have literally like I tracked it over two weeks. It would say coconut oil is bad. Here are all the reasons why coconut oil is terrible for your health. And then like a few days later, Coconut oil is good. Here's all the reasons why coconut oil is good for your health. And then it goes like a few days later, keto diet's bad. Here's why keto diet's bad for your health. And keto diet's good. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm going to like, if I were to be that person, like I need to really understand what's true and what's not before I commit. If you look at diet, even in like fitness industry too, I'd say, um, you, you could lose your mind because there's just like paradox and like, no truth everywhere because for something to actually be like literally true the other thing cannot be true as well and, yeah. and like and that's where it's like the cool thing to do is the fun thing is is like eat food or you know limit yourself on certain foods see how you feel and limit yourself on other foods and compare how you feel now like mm. that's a that's a pretty cool experience you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting how that, but that's like the whole, the whole media circus thing as well, you know, where it's like, you know, don't eat this, but take this supplement. It's like, ah, uh, you know, I'll just eat an orange. Thanks. You yeah, know? Exactly. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> they have a, I'm not sure if you follow like the, they have the like vegan, you have two extremes kind of right now in the nutrition industry, which is like 
among others, which is the like vegan diet and a carnivore diet, right? Um, there was a funny thing that happened with the vegan diet um, where there's pe- some people, people have all different reasons why they choose to eat um, a vegan diet, right? Um, and to each their own. There's a group of people, um, like not even criticizing, just an observation, who, who are radicalized in like some way, right? I don't mean they're doing necessarily like bad, you know, things in society or anything like that, but it's like, this is the only true way, right? Mm. Everyone should be vegan. I want more people to be vegan. Veganism is the answer for, for, you know, and here's all these like health reasons, right? And like pure crusader, like this is super Mm. healthy for you. Everything else is not right. Um, Like even like your, your carnivore diet, all these things like meat, you know, inherently like fat, right? you get that person where they're like very dogmatic about what they've, what they've determined to be true. Okay. So what emerged, I know it was there before, but within culture was the carnivore diet. And initially what I saw on the carnivore diet is that I'm doing this. This is crazy, but I promise like I've been able to survive off of this. And like some people would be like, this is the benefits of it, right. For, for them. And some people would have benefits and it would build in popularity. And then it got to a point where people became were a small group everyone came to it for their own reasons for carnivore diet people had their own experiences with it good and bad like a vegan diet um then it got to a point where a group of people became radicalized and this happens it seems when you you know something comes into being and a small mm. group of the people who are in carnivore diets are like meat is good vegetables are bad and mm. like this is the only way and only meat is really good. And you know, here I'm an example of it. Here's all my data. That is bad. And then now you got like two people on different sides of the extremes saying the exact same thing to the other person, but both of them are still alive. Mm, and, yeah. you know what I, and some of them are athletes. And it's like, so like two things I have here, it's like, well, how could both of those things be true at the same time? And then the mm. second one is, is how do I not wind up in my own personal hell like that, where I think I am so right that I have to proselytize my beliefs to everyone else and get them to think the way that I do. Cause that's like, yeah. y- you could, that's a human problem. It's not a vegan problem, the carnivore problem, the religious problem or any of that. It's like a, a person thing. Well, exactly. That's what I was going to say. You know, any form of extremism is bad. I, I don't mm-hmm. care where it's coming from. You know, it's just, um, it, you, you can't be, it can't be the right idea just to say only this is the right way. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> are we in the dark ages again? Yeah. You know, I'm going to put you on the stake. If you burn, you weren't a witch. I'm sorry. And if you don't burn, <laughs> we're going to kill you because you're a witch. It's like it's a situation, you know. But uh, I just think um, definitely any form of like extreme behavior. And um, I just found for... For a long time and i have many vegan friends but they mm-hmm. i i find it really hard okay i'm living in switzerland it's like the country of cheese and chocolate like i could oh, yeah. you know not <laughs> like not eat meat that wouldn't be a problem but like cheese and chocolate uh i really like honey as well so that would be wrong that's oh, all off the list yeah. you know, speaking to a lot of vegans it's like don't you have like a more mild form to introduce people to it and then sort of you know gradually get them to a point where it was very radical and very negative and very sort of hateful the message mm-hmm. that i was getting it's like you know this is bad how can you do this you know 
um, how can you eat that poor cow when it's like, well, and it's not ethical and, you know, human rights, uh, animal rights and stuff like that. And was like, but, you know, it's, it's not a healthy attitude if, it's like we were saying before where you go with extreme weights and you want to introduce people and you know, it's like, here's a, here's a 32K, you know, snatch with that. And they're like, well, I can't do it. So I'm off, you know, see ya. Yeah. And instead of giving them a 12K, let them experience what the, what the good thing is about it and then let them move on from there. And it was the same with vegan where I was like, you know, if I'd ask a question, it's like, oh, it's only this way, you know, and you can't do that. And if you eat cheese, then it's not, you know, you're not vegan. And like, I, I don't really care for labels. Like, I don't yeah. want to be vegan. I'm trying to get some information on how I could probably have a less animal product um, diet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the perfect guys to ask. And it would be like, no, you go all the way or you don't go. You know, we're not interested. And it's yeah. like, well, right. So. It, I just found that the the approach was a little generally a little aggressive, and there was mm-hmm. there was little sort of understanding for the for the two groups between. I'm not just talking carnivore, but it's like like vegan and and non-vegan. Where the vegans yeah. were even going like vegetarians. Oh my god, you know what's that? And it's like, well, you know. <laughs> and, and the other thing which really annoyed me was um, how it was like, well, if nobody ate meat, then we wouldn't have this problem. And my understanding of building a healthy world is making sure that okay let's accept it people are going to eat meat let's just make the experience you know better for the animal like you, you, we have to make sure that you know they're they're well kept that they're well treated that they have enough space that there's no battery farms that there's you know none of this we can't just say i'm not interested so it's not my problem because if you really do care about animals then you're going to accept that this is going to be a this is going to be around for a while let's talk to people and explain and try to make the experience more pleasant and not say i don't eat meat it hence it's not my responsibility so i'm just going to blame the people who eat meat and i don't care because that for me is yeah. like well then you don't care about the animals you should really be working with these people to, to find a better way and so i I got put off for a long time because there was all this radicalization and then and there was no real like taking responsibility or, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to make a better world um, for the for the animals. Um, so I sort of, yeah, got put off and recently sort of got back into it. And um, so I do stuff like if I do eat meat, it's once it's once a week. You know, I don't yeah. eat. Fire, it's not. And it's not processed and I go to the butcher and I make sure that, you know, they know where the meat comes from. And so there's a lot of things that you can do in a healthy way and still have the diet that you want. You just have to do it with a lot more respect. You have to have a lot more respect for for vegetables, for meat, for how we process, how we produce, how we treat uh, using pesticides, um, you know, just so much so many more things that we have to look at before we go i'm not interested because you're a meat eater you know yeah it's like, well, that's not constructive it's not helping it's, anyone no and that's what we talked no. about with the reframing right and that's where like we we were talked about it earlier we're like you're in a situation you can't control you can't even control that everyone eats that eats meat or not like that's exactly like that that whole point right and like how now you well what can you control you you can control having input and having a seat at the table and contributing to a better quality of life for that animal for the people who do make that choice to like you know what i mean to eat meat and then if you were to even draw it out even further like 
the way that you're treating that you could be treating people in this scenario or the way that you're handling like this, like intolerance of things that you, you know, you disagree with, like, what kind of world does that look like? Does that mean hmm. that like, how does that scale outward? Because my yeah. concern is, is it, it doesn't stop there because it's not about like veganism. It's not about being a carnivore. It's not about hmm. what's healthy or, or any of that. It's a human thing. Like if, if you're hmm. be so vehemently intolerant to other people's worldview, right? And you, or you're continually trying to eliminate these worldviews that conflict with yours, that's the most concerning thing for me because I think two things will happen is one thing that's you're fighting a real big uphill battle and that's probably not going to change. You're going to have a mm. lot of conflict without much productivity. Um, yeah, and no, then, the, and then yeah. like this, the second thing, you know, is, is like, that is probably the most important thing about constraining yourself um, to a particular rule set in your life out of it all is like, I constrain myself one way based on my principles and beliefs. Someone else constrains themselves another way based on their principles and beliefs. So now how do I use this to learn how to be able to talk with somebody that I disagree with? Because that is probably more important than saving any, like in the hierarchy of things, than saving any particular animal or alleviating any particular suffering for one animal, because I think that would alleviate suffering a little more, mm. like a little more productively on the grand scale and not just for humans. Like we would get yeah. a lot of stuff done. If and I come from this from, I just recently had a podcast with my friend Ed and he does river restoration. And you have mm -hmm. something where it's like, there's people who care about the environment and there's people who are a part of industry where they gather electricity with dams, let's say. And the people who care about the environment and are seeing you know, fish populations dying, approach the people with dams um, with like a lot of aggressiveness and a lot of emotion into it to the point in the dam people respond in kind, you know, um, let's just look at that as a human predicament, like we talked about with the veganism or carnivorism and you know, all those things. Um, and what happens is, is my friend Ed is not, he's a little bit more tempered in his approach with that. Um, mm -hmm. He's fighting for the river restoration, but these people aren't allowed a seat at the table to talk with the people at the, who they disagree with because they, they would like just screaming through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that doesn't do anything that radicalizes yeah. the people in the industry even more that creates a, a, a dichotomy in us against them, but he brings in mediation and, and now the people who are for ecology are in one room and the people who are for industry are in the nether room of the same building. My friend Ed, who's on the ecology side, he isn't operating from that. He's very like, it's a very tempered and very interesting thoughts on this. Um, he's like, yeah, the first thing that I need is I really want to get to know them because they're a person like I am. Right. And like, we, we have a problem. So how do we solve this? Not even like, we don't even have the problem that fish are going extinct. Like that's one problem. But the real problem, if you look on it on both ends is fish are going extinct and we need you to do a little bit less of this thing that makes you money. And that's a problem for you. That's okay. Yelling mm -hmm. it away isn't going to change anything or like your concern for animals well-being. And I, you know, find it like meat's really important for me to eat or, or whatever. Like you could yell at me and get me to not be this person or like 
we could figure out how to work together. Mm. I think that changes that changes everything. And that's why yeah, Martin Luther King was cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you could just say, like, you know, what are you going to tell the Inuit family who lives on seal uh, blubber that they yeah. have to now, you know, eat vegetables and where are they going to grow them? I mean, it's just it just seems so comfortable, like we're, you know, in a in, in a day and age and in a situation where it's like, OK, so now. OK, for example, vegan shoes. Yeah, now you can buy vegan shoes before you could buy vegan shoes Then normal shoes were fine and leather shoes were we're fine. And now that you have access, you know, you can access like this, this, this small thing, which is vegan shoes. Now, now leather shoes are bad. And it's like, well, if they were so bad, then you should have gone bar- barefoot until vegan shoes were made. You know, yeah. if, you know, it's just like, it's just, it's become really comfortable. Like it's up your road and it's fine. And that's cool. Like do that, but don't, Bad mouth what you did before or what others are doing now because they don't have the possibility they don't they you know they don't have the access they don't have they don't have the funds or yeah. you know they, they, yeah you can't you can't judge people on 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 stuff like that I just think it's really important and definitely um, you know you have to have some form of conversation even if it's not even if the people are not of your view but if there isn't that. If, if there isn't that connection, then nothing is going to happen. It's not yeah. going to go either way. You're not going to put your point across either. Like no one's going to take you seriously if you, you know, start. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what I, I did find though, that I'm curious to hear about your experience in kettlebells, but in, in sport, I'd probably experience a painting. And like, you know, these other, these creative activities that I've yet to do, I definitely know as a musician, you'd experience it, but like there's i I'd go to a martial arts class and we do martial arts and all I could think about are because I show up to do martial arts, right? Like socializing, it's like really low on the list. It's kind of distracting because you get in there, you got to get your, you know, get your gi on and get your, get your uniform on, basically stand up, get ready and do the class. And then by the time the class is over, it's like, all right, we got to get our stuff off and then you got to leave. Right. And there might be just a small fraction of time for socializing, but it's kind of a little bit of a, a dis- distraction because it's, you know, you don't do it during the class. Right. Um, what, what I found out is, is that without talking, I'm bonding with these people right? Or mm-hmm. if you're even doing like, you know, working out with people, right? And you're, you know, you're doing like kettlebells and, and you're showing up or you're teaching them. Anyway, you, that's the focus. You build this relationship with this. And then over time, as a sidetrack, you get to know who they are in the world, right? You mm-hmm. know, their worldview, perhaps their personality, the things that they identify, their identity. Um, but their identity comes after usually. In, in these scenarios, especially when you don't pick them, when it's a public class and someone shows mm-hmm. up, right? And what I realized is, is that I would develop bonds and be very close with the people in how we play a game. So they played the game well. They're a nice guy or girl. They're very respectful. They try hard, you know? They, they push themselves, but they don't have too much ego and like, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. I learn very much about them without them saying very much. And then when I do get to learn about them, I realize like I'm in the, I'm in the same room with a, with a Protestant. I'm in the same room with a more, like all in the same class. I'm in the same room with a Mormon. I'm in the same room with a guy who I might be homeless and doesn't wash enough. 
um and like because you're grappling and stuff and my face was in his butt one time it was gross but um <laughs> and, and it was so bad he wasn't homeless he just didn't wash and i was like oh that's really interesting yeah it's so terrible and like i tapped i'm like i'm done and he's like why i'm like i don't know you had a good move man i don't want to hurt your feelings and then like <laughs> and then you know i'm also in classes people who have like like a single parent you know kind of like my situation um all these different worldviews that's the last thing that i found out by the time that I built this bond and showing up to this activity, and I say, you're, because I don't know what their identity is, you're a jujitsu, you're a martial artist, I'm a martial artist, hi, we do martial arts, we're wearing a uniform, no questions asked, let's do martial arts, oh, you're a kind person to do martial arts, let's do more martial arts, and then like, like, oh wait, you're a Protestant, you didn't, like, I thought, if I, going into my personal life, I thought, like, if I were going to have a religious friend in my history, that, that's all they're going to talk about. And they're going to want me to be religious. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to hang out with you because like, that sounds like not a fun experience. And then I'm like having all this and I'm like, dude, I, I love doing jujitsu with you. You want to go for a run yeah. sometimes? And like, and, and that's what I, what I find is, is there's this like, we're at the situation where it's like, I see these pitfalls in people, right? In, in my own self and human behavior with like becoming radicalized and um, not being able to uh, see the relation between each other and, and being around people you disagree with. And like, you should be around people you disagree with. Go call up some people and invite them into your house. Maybe you got a, a coworker you disagree with and go and like invite them to your house, hang out with them. And like, I could see that not going very good, like in, in some capacity, right? Like imagine if you just get hammered. Like you just party and drink, whatever it's your thing. Yeah. So you invite the person you disagree with and that the way you spend time with them is going to go get hammered at home. And I don't know if that like, if that's going to end up in a good situation or not, but like if we go and do jujitsu or kettlebells, it will be aggressive. Like, <laughs> you know, like, do, do you see yeah. how like I'm trying to even watching a movie, like think about that. If, if you were like, if you're my, I disagreed with you and you're my coworker and you know, um, Will and Tanya, or is it Tanya or Tanya or Tanya? Or, Will and Tanya are, are, you know, saying that I need to hang out with more people I should disagree with. Let's go watch a movie. And it's like, you want to watch um, a Christmas movie? Oh, wait a minute. Like what religion? You know what I mean? You have to like think about all of these yeah. things. But like yeah. you have this activity, this ritual that you go there and you show up to do the thing. And the thing is the of focus. I feel like that experientially gets you to that place that it's so hard to teach someone to voluntarily put themselves in, even my own self. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you're putting yourself out there. I've noticed like, for example, I generally experience tells me that I'm, I don't get on too well with bad losers mm -hmm. and I don't get on too well with people who don't like animals. Which yeah. is where you're, you're like, yeah, I just like, or I guess animals would have like the connection to nature as well. So yeah, um, but apart from that, I could get on with anyone in training. Like if you're there to learn something about, and like you're not, you know, talking about your like political or religious yeah. views during the training. Like that's you know that's not place for that. But not many people do that. I think even even people with very, you know, in a private sort of situation, you would find out that they have really strong views on something mm -hmm. where you're like, okay, I don't know, anti-abortion or whatever, you know, and it's yeah. like, whoa, I never think, 
I never thought that would come out of you, you know, because you just reckon that anyone who does the thing that you do is kind of cool. You know, it's like, (laughs) that's, and that's what it is. Cause you, you start to assume, like, I find the the thing in my mind, it's, it's so automatic where like, I, there's a guy and he's like, he's like, you're talking about very strong political and religious beliefs. And I would have never thought it because it's like, you do what I do. Oh, you're pretty cool. And that's like, it's just like what you're saying when you're, you're swinging, you're juggling kettlebells, like your mind, like automatically, like, Oh, I got to pay attention. And all you can help, but do is focus on the next thing. When I'm in that place, all I can do is as long as the tone in the class is like, it's a structured class, right? People aren't just ranting, you know, while I've had that, I've had instructors rant their political beliefs in the middle of class and stuff. And like, that's different, but a well-structured class, you realize that like it, your brain automatically just does it for you kind of yeah i i mean for me like if you're looking at kettlebell training it's um like it's been around for for a very long time but the russians pretty much claimed that theirs in i think it was 1704 where they put it in it was first mentioned in a russian dictionary kettlebells as as a form of training so that's, yeah, that's quite a while. Obviously, like, there's discussion where it started. Anything from Shaolin monks to, you know, I could imagine Fred Flintstone sort of weighing out um, with, with, a, with a rock, and that would be, you know, so as long as weights have been around, pretty much uh, people have been lifting them, you know, to do stuff, and then at some point started lifting them for fun or for training or for competition. So they've been around for a long time. Kettlebell um, lifting for women has been around since 2012, uh, 2002. So up till then there was no female competition. Now this makes it an extremely um, sensitive sport for women to take part in. Plus the fact that it's mainly sort of Russian based and Russians are very, macho about their sport it's like you know it's, it's the army sport it's uh, a man's sport it's poutine sport uh, you know you sort of wrestle bears and lift kettlebells and it's so it's quite fresh for women to to get into like it hasn't been around for, for, for a very long time plus it's a culture which is I, I, I don't want to like step on anyone's toes, but it's not super woman friendly. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if I, if I sort of on Instagram, I'm, there's a lot of Russians I'm following because they're, they're, they're just really good at the sport. And yeah, there are some posts where it's like, nah, you know, I'm not sure sort of, you know, like sexist. Oh, really? Well, yeah. There's, there's quite a lot of, you know, sort of, yeah. Oh, wow. So for me, it's interesting also, like like I was talking about, ex, you know, extending your comfort zone. Yeah. So I've just bullied into that sort of, you know, situation. And I'm like, I don't care what people think. And, yeah. you know, I just going to do it. And mm-hmm. um, I think there's also an element of just, like I told you when I started and it was like the boys class and it was like, this is nothing for girls. And I, yeah, to a certain point it was like, yeah, no, nah, man, I'm going to, I'm going to pause the way for further, you know, exactly. if girls want yeah, to come and do this, I'm just going to be like, yeah, I'm just, I'm not going to be the one to turn away. Like probably hundreds have done it before me and just said, 
okay, then I'll just go and do some Pilates or something, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I want to do this and I'm not, I'm not taking no for an answer. And so that developed into the whole, like the whole sport is really man dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find uh, that a lot of women who are in the sport are like really make a point of being super tough. Like, you know, we could, yeah. you know, I could teach you any day and I can lift that bell too and all that. And I'm like, well, I don't think we should go that radical. You know, I don't think we should sort of um, measure ourselves with the guys. We should create our own niche in this sport where we yeah. feel female and comfortable and fit and sporty. And, you know, we're not like, you know, identity is, is in that, in that sport, you know, in like collectively yeah. and individually as well. Yeah. Exactly. We don't have to latch onto something which is already there or a view which is already there. We can create our own in this sport. So, um, yeah, this, there's a big, like, there's a lot more women, uh, taking, taking part and are being taken seriously in, in kettlebell lifting, which is, which is really cool, but it's still very fresh. I mean, yeah. I, in martial arts, I, I'm not sure how, you know, were women part from the beginning or, so you that, know, that's the, whole the thing, thing is that from my understanding, not really. And like, really the thing that I am specialized in is like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And in mm. Brazilian, so Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, that didn't really come into America until like the, like UFC, um, from my understanding. And that was at the time it was like all centralized in Brazil. So my friend, Cindy Hales, uh, she's like my friend. And then she, um, and I helped teach jujitsu with her, um, at her gym, like sleeper jujitsu here in Seattle. Um, she's the, she's part of the dirty dozen, which is like, there's the dirty dozen for men and there's the dirty dozen for, for women. And it's essentially the first 12 um, black belts, right? Which takes like, you know, many, many years, right? It's like getting yeah. your like PhD, uh, but in jujitsu, um, she was the first of 12 women, the 12th, in fact, um, to get her black belt um, outside of Brazil, right? So there's a list for men and women. Um, she was coming up right when, Brazil, right when jujitsu like fell on the map. She got really interested in it. She's been training for like 25 years and she was like, Oh, that looks cool. And she got, she got into it. And it was interesting listening to her talk about it. She talked a little bit about it on my podcast, but like, um, how she tried to embody this, like, um, this like macho, um, attitude. And it's mainly it's because of Brazil. Like, I I guess like there was a lot of Brazilians, you know, um, training here in the States. Um, and, and that's mainly where people were getting their information from, especially in the beginning. Right. Um, and there's this like, I've never been taught by someone who's from Brazil and I've never really like learned about the culture very much, but there's like this like machismo, like you're talking about, um, like with Russia. Um, and she'd always, she tried to embody that. Like she was an MMA fighter and just trying to embody this, like, you know, always ready to fight and being like very intense and very aggressive kind of, kind of person. And she'd even like in jujitsu, she would try to exercise that she'd be aggressive in jujitsu and just embody it in her whole life. And she realized after um, some years, I I suppose, um, or a long time that, that she was posturing in Mm. order to like, feel like a sense of belonging or, or because of like, she felt like she had whatever it was. And like, that was her her learning process where she's just like um realizing that it it she doesn't have to be that to to be good at this or to be like um to learn at this and she's i've only met her like 
probably four years ago. So I've known her at least when she's been doing this for 20 years and not any earlier. Um, and I would never like, I never think that of her at all. I look at her and she's a very, very strong, um, very strong woman who carries herself very well. I'm very like admire her and respect her. Um, but she's not somebody that I would associate with like this person just walks around with like an aggressive posture and would even mm-hmm. be aggressive towards people. She's like super duper kind. Right. And like, yeah, very, very kind, very considerate, you know, looks in the eye always has like a beautiful, like a really big old smile on her face and, and stuff. It's very welcoming, not hostile. Mm. And like, yeah. I could never imagine her hostile. And so what it really taught me was is like, I think as the, like, a, a, like feminine culture, I guess, was participating in jujitsu, right? Um, on the individual level and collectively, maybe you go through this little identity crisis trying to like, you know, mirror maybe the only example in front of you. Like, oh, this, these people are like macho. This is, you must be macho and do this because, you know, I need to embody this. I need to fit in and belong. And then it's like, and I have this on a personal level and you're like, oh, wait, that might not be who I really am or what I really feel. And I'm just posturing, but I know what it looks like for them. I know how to do the things. I feel like I can kind of belong. I don't need to act this way to belong. It's all like almost like a, a a cyclical realization. And I imagine if there's not a lot of women doing it, um, it probably is a very drawn out evolution mm. because because there's no you know there's no role models, there's no one to learn from or, or any of those things. You're just like pi- like I said, pioneering it. And I, I'll add like a, another thing that I, I find. Um, really sweet and touching perhaps and it's it's all an accident but I'm raised by like a single mom mm-hmm. and I didn't have a lot of like men around and I've always spent a lot of time around women so for whatever reason I perhaps might be more comfortable around women and I also like am more familiar with a like a feminine point of view and when it comes to doing martial arts, martial arts is something that is seen as kind of from the outside looking in, not from the inside, aggressive. And mm-hmm. like, and I've never gotten in like my sister's, my sister's very aggressive and like very, mm-hmm. very dominant person. Like if, if she'd always like getting in fights and stuff like that and looking like she'd always, if I were getting in a, like or going through relationship things and going through a breakup, this is, I big old eyes because like, I think it's crazy but like she'd be like you want me to fuck him up and I'm like Jesus Christ like they were really nice we're friends and stuff she's like I-, I promise I got your fucking back and I'm like come on let's like she was running in gangs and stuff when she was in her teens I've never done any of that I was always playing video games at home like she's like 12 years older than me we didn't grow up together or anything like that she'd spit loogies in my brother's mouth like oh my god and like I've always been kind of, you know, anxious and all those other things. I'm like really chill, smoke some weed. And like, um, and, and I get into that and she's like, oh, they're going to hurt you. Like, cause she's never done. It's so weird. She's never done any like, you know, martial arts before, but she had an idea of it knows what the UFC is. And she's like, oh, those people are going to hurt you. Like, you shouldn't do that. Like I, you know, really concerned about me because her perception of me was someone who was like, you know, really gentle, doesn't get in fights, is a nice person, pretty agreeable, whatever. She has this narrative about me. And like, I had the same thing. Like, you know, I'm non-confrontational. 
I'd rather tuck my tail in between my legs and kind of like leave and then come back when we're all in a good mood and talk about it. Um, mm. And so someone like Cindy, like her perspective, you know, has been so refreshing for me because it's just some unique situation of her own experiences of trying to get into this thing and like trying to embody this aggressiveness and then toning it back and seeing the shortcomings for her of that, of posturing like that, and then being comfortable in her own skin. Because when I got into martial arts, I almost fell into those posturing traps. And from when I would struggle to win or compete, it would always, my, my other coach at the time, right? He had a very different um, outlook and lifestyle, right? He's like, is he'd struggle with an overinflated ego. Right. And like, and just mm-hmm. all these things. And he'd always tell me, be more aggressive. Well, and like, you just gotta not be as like kind and like these things that he'd say, and they would, they, those would work, you know, cause it has for a particular type of person and it has its place, but I really just a different perspective. It was something that I really needed. And it didn't even have to be like, a. I don't know. I almost want to say it didn't even have to be a woman's perspective, but like there was something about that. Mm-hmm. And like, just that like feminine perspective on this, um, this sport where you're pushing and pulling people and threatening to break their limbs while not actually doing it and choking them and all these things. And like, you have this thing where if I want you to turn over, right. And you're obviously not doing that because you don't want to, that's your defenses to turn into me, but I want you to turn away. You get your hand and you push as hard as you can across their face. And like, mm-hmm. that's hard for me. Like I, I literally would avoid that because I was afraid of hurting somebody, but mm we're playing a game like it's that was part of the game and I was actually um reducing the quality of the game because I was not playing to its full terms because I was afraid to hurt somebody and and when I would learn from her I see this woman and like she's not very you know she's confident but not like super aggressive right um and she's working in these boundaries and she's sitting there digging her head into the side of my head and just cramming it into the mat and I'm like oh my god and and like I could talk to her about it. She's like, oh, you just got to be more aggressive. She's not like that. She's just having these conversations. Well, that's a really good way to get people to move. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, and it's and it's, I it's just, if some people if some people in such situations can like like go into character, like they're an actor. So if you went into like the aggressive will character in that moment, that you could do that, and it wouldn't matter because it wouldn't touch on your soft will side oh yeah I wonder if, you know if like people would turn into like i'm sure that you know you get that you, you can see that with like the luchadores or mm-hmm. you know when people are going into into the lift into weightlifting like Whoa! you know sumo wrestlers where they like go into this thing so there's probably a lot more people who are yeah because I've, I've seen that before um where i think oh they, you know they're super sweet and then go like on the tennis court it's like ah, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> where did that come from you know <laughs> I, I don't do that I don't go into character when I do something um like everything I do I try to do it as me like I don't mm-hmm. I don't try and but maybe in that kind of situation it would help where you'd be like right I'm switching to to evil will and then you know yeah. I can push that as much as I want and it has nothing to do with me as you know as will the guy who they know otherwise yeah so you're probably not very good you're probably not very good at going into character when you're uh... (laughs) (laughs) i get i get scared because i'm like oh like 
Am I really like I have this thing where they call it combat jujitsu? So with the jujitsu, it's all ground fighting, right? And you're trying to get the chokes and like, or you're trying to threaten to like break a limb, you know, and then they tap when it hurts. Um, there's a an added element when I was doing a match, which was combat jujitsu. So you're allowed to to hit them with your open palm. And mm -hmm. and like the the only way they could do that though is if they have three points of contact on the ground. So like, you know, one arm, two knees, or something like that. Um mm -hmm. And like, it was to be in a self-defense situation, right? Like that's like true ground fighting, where if you're ground fighting, you know, someone can hit you. So you're not going to do certain things that you would when you're not allowed to hit because you, because the open palm strikes, they don't really hurt that much, right? They're just mm -hmm. like really distracting and annoying and, uh, and stuff. So what I was doing during training was I was training for my match and then I was like, not really doing the open palm strikes because my training partner i really liked him and i associated like you know kindness is, is not trying very hard in the scenario but he knew he was he's like i want to help you so it's like that, that i confused that in that moment and then it was identified by like my coach and he's like what are you doing man you gotta like you gotta use your strikes and you gotta use your strikes to be able to like to to distract him so you can you know move to your submission and I'm so caught up in like, oh, I think I'm hurting him. I'm not even doing the jujitsu anymore. Right. And then I'm like, oh, just do it. And then I like, I go, the other thing comes on. And I go to 10, 10 out of 10. And then my coach is like, you're like, not this, the Cindy girl, my former coach, but um, he's like, what are you doing? You're hurting him. And then I start crying. And then like, and I'm crying as I'm doing the jujitsu. And I'm like, am I just like unleashing a serial killer inside of my mind? And I'm like, oh, I'm a bad person. And then it's like, I realize that I have no confidence, like, or I have little confidence in, in who I am ethically in everyday life. Like I'm seeking external validation for to, to know that I'm a good person. And that is mm -hmm. indi indica indicative that I need other people to tell me that I'm a good person. Where, whereas mm -hmm. I, I should be, I would like to develop a principle and ethics so I can know for certainty. So that way, if I am in like uh, a difficult friendship and we have conflict and maybe that friend is, is hurting me, right? Um, in, you know, abusive language or whatever. I realize that in my everyday life, I would just keep going along with all of it because I needed external validation for my self-worth. So if someone were to come and say things to me and be, you know, mean to me and stuff, I would just continue to enable it and let it happen because mm. I wanted them to perceive me as a nice and kind and loving person. And that came out in this intense experience in jujitsu where I'm like, I'm a murderous person. Like, but, and I'm not like, you know, I'm, I've been angry before and I have never hurt anybody. Like, I don't mm -hmm. you know, I might hurt in my, as a kid, I might hurt myself instead of somebody else. Like, that's not me. Mm -hmm. And I am just like psychologically stuck in like that fear, like oh, maybe I do have the potential to hurt someone, but you know. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think being mean is like, like one of the worst traits a person can have, you know, <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to go down that road. And I mean, even now, like if I think of, the exposure to to you know mean comments and and like the yeah. like the whole whole social media has brought on uh, it's 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 pretty scary um mm. i i would encourage like young people to just yeah just stay away from 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 stuff like that you know yeah. it's just like bullying is horrible and the like it's just taken on 
in yeah it's come on in leaps and bounds especially since since social media has uh i, I remember when I, I must have been about 14, had braces and went to went to a school dance and got caught on on the guy's jumper with my braces. Like today, you know, that would be all over YouTube. You don't want to see yeah. yourself braces hooked to a jumper pulling, you know, pulling string. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so I could sort of get by childhood being clumsy and sort of a bit, yeah. Not I, I wasn't like a very... Um, yeah, I was a clumsy kid. Like there would have been a lot of funny videos you could have made with me. So I'm I'm happy I sort of skipped that, you know, era. It's just a little bit scary for for kids now, you know, and the messages that we that we're that we're putting out there. Um, yeah, I think um, being kind and caring is just like it sounds so old fashioned, but it's yeah, even more so nowadays. I think we have to sort of go down that route. And that's something where I was, you know, I, I don't know how this whole situation now with, with, um, with, with Corona, how this will pan out. There's a part of me that hopes that um, we might sort of come to our senses in a way and sort of, you know, fall back on things which are, which are important to us and, you know, connections that we make to people, connections we make to ourselves, and that all these fancy things which are influencing us from the outside, um, sort of take a step back a little bit and just, you know, yeah, a little bit sort of back to the roots, you know, yeah. think about what's important to, to us and how we treat each other. Because I find it's gotten a bit out of hand, like, you know, people can mask themselves behind a screen and just be, just be, yeah, nasty. It yeah, just seems can. so easy. And I don't understand why, why we can't just be nicer. I mean, yeah, yeah. it sounds a bit less. That's how I feel. It does come down to that at the end of the day. And I, and I think that comes down to the thing you talked about with the kettlebells, which is, um, you know, when you're, when you're having a hard time, like, or you're, when you're not having a hard time, you're hesitating about, you know, getting out there and, and doing your kettlebell work. And you're like, no, every time I do this, hey, this makes me feel good, right? Mm. That is a dividing line between you really need to fucking do this. Don't be lazy. Like, you know what I mean? That like, that, like there's, two like perspectives on it it's like you're gonna put yourself down and like push yourself to do this or you're like you're gonna look at the the positive side and focus on the positive mm -hmm. side and, and like and encourage yourself to do it treating yourself as like yeah. a third person and it's just That's interesting fine. that like when you have this like you know this when you're looking at this wall of text online sometimes i wonder if it's more indicative of people's self-talk because like what they what they show show um, from text messages, which I learned from my like counselor when I was a kid, is that there are studies that are done like when you um, receive a text message and you're texting someone back, your brain recognizes that you're talking to yourself, not somebody else. And how this works is is when you're reading the text messages, it's in your own voice. And so mm. you're and it like literally, I don't know how they track this. I could I'll link the study in the show notes, but um, that. Th that it was like a personal it was a personal narrative and it was completely different than like being on the phone with someone and talking to them being face to face or being in a zoom conversation because it's like you're not registering that it's someone else and then i think about like what the majority of people's self-talk is i and looking in the school and not even with the, with like kiddos with like ebd but like general population right um working with jujitsu kids working with adults 
um, you know, the, the general quality that I can kind of generalize, most people have some really intimidating self-talk. <laughs> like they don't like, even if you're not someone who's into exercise or anything like that, I just like, I watch people not eat very well. And the things that they say to themselves when they like drop something to make a mistake, it's just like, it's very punitive if, if that makes sense. Mm. And then I yeah. look at like the online stuff that happens and it almost looks like very similar to that way. You know what I mean? Mm. Like very quick to criticize, right? Like not very like empathetical or anything like that. And I would like in person, I don't think most of us, at least in my culture, like treat each other that way. Um, but no, I know that they treat themselves that way when they're in private. And I know that. So you think that a lot of this, yeah, a lot of this interaction is, is actually self, because there is a lot of, the, there's a lot of harmful things if you think, well, most of these people don't even know that other person. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how can you make that kind of, how can you make that kind of judgment? Or how can you, how can you write that comment, post it and feel good about yourself? Mm -hmm. It's not possible. You can't possibly feel, I've done a good thing. You're not going to tell me that if you wrote, you know, a positive comment that that's not going to feel better than the negative one. It's just, it, I, I don't think it's humanly possible to be negative and, and to feel good about it or better than, unless you're some kind of psycho serial killer that, you know, then you'll probably get satisfaction causing, causing harm. But um, otherwise it just does feel so much better to, to be positive about, you know, it's funny talking about the fails, like if you look at a lot of the juggling um, videos on, on Instagram, they're all about success, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact that they have all dropped the bell yeah. at least a thousand times for them to get there, to, to get to those 20 seconds. And um, that's the reason why I also post my fails because I feel that's another motivation thing where it's like, you know, it's not all filters and fancy and nailing every shot or nailing every throw and it, sometimes it's just like bang bang mm -hmm. bang bang and it, you know and after an hour you're like well i didn't achieve much but i'm i'm sweating so yeah let's go home you know yeah exactly <laughs> that's about that's about all i'm going to do for today and and not feel bad about it um yeah where, where it's like why are we so why are we so scared to show our failings? Is it because you know we make ourselves vulnerable? Okay, if somebody would would comment on my video, you know, well that's lame because you just dropped the bell a hundred times in a row. I'd be like, yep, I sure did, you know, and I <laughs> and I'd be absolutely fine with it. And I can understand people who really care about what other people say, like other people's opinion. Yeah. There are people's opinion I really care about that they have to prove themselves to me before I do like give them that much, you know, um, space in, in, in me. Um, and others, which are, you know, it's just like, oh, you're well, water off a duck's back. You know, I really couldn't care less because if I don't know them, then they don't know me. So why would their opinion be important yeah. to me? Yeah. Like, um, so I think if you're if you're somebody who's vulnerable to to other people's comments then it's probably safer not to put it out there because you know they're going to smell you out uh and 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 you're going to suffer for it probably in the end um which is a shame because you know we do 
try and sort of pretend we're all and it's we're not all amazing and healthy and mentally fit and uh you know it's yeah. That, that that's the that's the thing that I think is the that's actually a really beautiful teaching moment though, and I think that it has to be with a lot of like guidance. I would imagine because I'm thinking about my son a lot. Where like if someone were to were to leave put out a comment, this this is for and thinking about the kettlebells, not like you making some kind of like life mistake, you know, with the braces and someone recording that putting that online. That's that's a lot different. Um, but in the if you're like doing something right, and then someone criticized for it, and you do post your failure, right, or you post your success, and someone's like, "Oh, like that's like a you know that's a light kettlebell. Like there's a bigger kettlebell." Oh. Is actually that is the, the most beautiful teaching moment because that is why that there is no end result that you're striving for you know why you do this like it's a reminder of like we're here for the process right you have no we throw away these expectations of like one day i'm gonna do this let's focus on where you're moving towards right now in this in this this play space you know like kettlebells or whatever and let's focus on that and why you come up here to enjoy it you're not doing it because people are saying oh you look cool or good doing your kettlebells you might have that like but that's a sidetrack if anything, mm. we're going to indulge that even a little bit or admit that it's there, right? The real reason, there's real reasons to show up for it. You show up for your health, you show up for your wellness, and you find this to be really fun. So when someone throws out this comment, when you're doing something you like and you're really fun, you share it to the world and someone criticizes it. Like I do this with the podcast a lot, right? Um, that is an opportunity to remember that you do it for yourself. And like, mm -hmm. and if you don't, then it's a conversation of like, well, we're going to want to look for reasons inside of us for your own self, why you do this, right? Other than seeking external validation, because that like, it's okay if that gets you to the party, but we really got to think about a real deeper reason why you're here, because it really is more than that. It's really got to be more than that, because you wouldn't show up. You wouldn't even go to the, you wouldn't do it in your house. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, there's yeah. certain elements that are going to require you more confidence and more passion in this thing other than getting getting compliments. But I do think that that's a sidetrack within us. And that could be a, a cord that could be plucked, you know, by someone who criticizes you or somebody who congratulates you. And it's your mm. relationship to that feeling of like someone recognized me or someone criticized me is like, because sometimes that's a good thing to like indulge, to reflect on, or to kind of separate yourself from. And I think yeah. that's like, that's part of just being a person, perhaps. I think, um, yeah, you, you think as well that whilst that person is commenting, they're probably not doing any sports, probably not outside, probably not very happy. So, you know, I think my dad told, yeah, I think it was my dad very long time ago. There are two options. You're an idiot or you or you deal with idiots. Yeah. And I I definitely to you know prefer the second option. Of course there are idiots who deal with idiots, but let's you know, let's imagine there's these two options. Um, then I would definitely prefer to deal with them than to be one. Like, you know, that's that's cool. I can I can I can handle that. Um you have to go through some experiences to come to a, like a mindset. And I, yeah, it's just, I, I wouldn't want to know how I would feel if I was like 16 and, you know, yeah. in the same world or, or 14 going through puberty and, and in this situation, you can look back 
you can reflect now and think, yeah, I, I know how to handle this. Um, but yeah, the, trying to make it better for everyone and not just for yourself, you know, that's, yeah. that's the whole idea. Yeah, exactly. So I like, right. like my, my, my boyfriend has a, has a 16 year old daughter. So I'm sort of, yeah, I'm like stepmom to, to two kids. Um, and it's tough, you know, it's tough being 16 nowadays. Like there's so much going on. There's so much influence. And then you, you know what it's like when you, when you were young and if you would like miss one party, your life would end. Like you wouldn't know what was going on. You didn't know who made out with whom and you would yeah. just be completely detached from everything. And now they've gone like through a year of not having, you know, social experiences as mm-hmm. well, because it's, yeah, lockdown, you know, the whole the whole situation will probably also influence um kids. So there's a lot much there's much more going on online in social media. Like um yeah, I I just wish that people would be a bit, yeah, like I said, just kinder to each other. It, I do too. It makes them, it makes the other feel better and it makes it makes you feel better, definitely. And that's where I was looking at, like, and just the the thinking of like how you could see it as an opportunity to teach certain things um, is, especially with the youth, like, like I literally mean like presence and like the conversation of, you know, your philosophy and like how you would struggle with that yourself, role modeling that. Cause without that, there's just, there's just a fucking void. Like, even if you just say, Hey, once, like, even if you're a teacher in school and you're like, I think this is what you should think about it. It's like, sweet. All right. Now we're not going to think about that anymore. Like, nah, that's like a, like a practice, like a, or else yeah. it's a big ass void. Cause they deal with it a lot and frequently and consistently. But like, um, what, what I had found is I even found that with kids jujitsu, because what, what happened here is we closed down and then we opened up in like August and then it closed down here in November again. Um, but when, so I wasn't teaching jujitsu when it closed down before it closed down the first time because I was working in the schools and stuff um, and I didn't have that availability. It closed down my uh, Cindy. She said that like, there was like, she tried a zoom thing because one of the parents asked and they did a zoom thing. It was the first time they had those kinds of conversations. Um, And there was like, the kid just didn't want to do it at all. Not interested. Right. And then we go through the lockdown and then we go and start doing kids jujitsu, start building up the momentum you know, and then like they, they meet their friends and do all these other things. Then lockdown comes. And as the last day of kids jujitsu is like, um, the kids ask as we're about to, you know, just saying bye to them. Like, can we please do a zoom meeting like every week? And I was like, ah, oh, that's interesting. And the first thought was, is like, like Cindy was like, well, you know, maybe they're used to it now. Right. So they, so they know what to expect. And I'm like, um, that's, we do the zoom meeting and it goes really well, super big engagement. Instead of one a week, they want two a week. And like, you know, and all the kids showed up and they loved it. And, um, we were talking about it and I'm like, I think that that, cause they know how to work it better than like her or I do. Right. And I do it for podcasts. So it's just like, Whoa, my son's like running, like he's eight and he's teaching her how to do breakout rooms and all of these things. Like he has like a high proficiency in it. Um, I think that some of that contributes to it, but what I think contributes to it even more is that when there was a first lockdown, it was like, this is what my, I got to hang out with all my friends and I'm about, I'm going to start not doing that. Not going to be able to in that same way. Um, So then you don't understand what that is. I don't think even adults, like anyone doesn't really, didn't really understand what that was, you know, 
Um, and then, so when you do the zoom, it's like, no, I'd rather be with people, but then you're not with people. And then you go back and you are with people and develop that momentum. And then now you're not with people, but you know, even as a child, you recognize the pattern. I know what this is probably going to be like. So they can compare it to not having Zoom or having Zoom. Having Zoom is way better than not. Because before they were probably comparing it to having Zoom or being with their friends. Yeah. So and I and that's where I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot of things that are like there's a lot of chaos right now. And I don't mean like I mean that in a, as a way to say that there's a lot of change. And I'm watching mm. these kiddos kind of try to figure it out. And like what I'm trying to do is is trying to create this is also a time when you can reframe it and you can say this is a lot of time where you can influence your perspective and like, you know, imparting like whether whatever wisdom or whatever experiences that you can have on to, with, with children, with adults too. And, you know, I, I think about that a lot because even with the adults jujitsu, they're not able to do class. And it's like, I can learn how to swing a kettlebell. <laughs> you can do some maces if yeah. you want. Yeah. Like, you know, learn Spanish, play the yeah. guitar. I'm so not musical. It's really sad. I mean, <laughs> I love music, but I am just not capable. I've tried starting the guitar so many times and I just can't get my head around it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, can't always. There are some fails, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, I guess the weird thing is that we can't really say how long it's going to take. So how long are we preparing for? You know, if you usually sort of say, okay, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's like you know, people are talking about spring. People are talking about any year's time. People are talking about in one and a half years time. And I don't listen to the news anymore because I just got sick and tired of it. Um, it's just like, you know, this isn't, this isn't working for me. It's just more de- yeah it's more depressing than anything else and it just you know i can i can see it on my parents where every day it's like oh my god there are three people more have died in you know and it's like Mm -hmm. yeah i know it's sad and it's bad and the the only thing we can do is really learn to deal with you know the situation there's no point crying over spilt milk we're just going to have to get on with it and um find ways to to you know to replace whatever i mean for example as far as driving, you know, go, like office work, you know, when going to the office, get up every morning, people who go to the office, go get up every morning, drive, I don't know how long to work in traffic, you know, miserable, um, waiting to get to the office, get to the office stress, work, and then get in the car and experience the same traffic on the way back and everyone's miserable. It's like, well, you know, why do these people go to the office if they can actually work from home, if there is this possibility? Um, and I mean, for us, for me at work, it's been great. You know, we have we have meetings and they're a lot more intense because people don't have time or they just want to, you know, you get your point across. You don't sit in a room for hours You're yeah. talking about. It's a lot more effective. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I generally didn't go to work to socialize. So that wasn't really mm-hmm. something that I missed at work. Um and it's just had like I think it's probably for a lot of people had a had a positive effect. Whereas you know you sort of think about you know why am I going somewhere to do a job that I could do from home? And if okay. I want to do that, not give me the option. It just makes a lot more sense. It's a shame that it took something like this, you know, to mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, 
we'll, yeah, we'll just have to see how, how things um, go on. But I definitely, like I was talking about how I'm happy not being a teenager and experiencing this. And on the other, on the other spectrum, I'm really happy that I'm not of an age where I've worked all my life and now feel that, you know, all that I've done and I was looking forward to retirement and now I'm basically locked at home and I don't know how, how much, yeah. how much more time I've got, you know? Yeah. So I, I really appreciate that I'm sort of of a, of, um, of an age, maturity, understanding, whatever to, to deal with this, with this situation. And I understand that not everybody has that. Um, but yeah, I think, um, doing sports is definitely something which people should turn to in time. or being creative. Let's put it that way. Finding yeah. a passion, being creative for me, for a lot of people, it, it would be sports. Um, but I just think it's really important. It doesn't matter what it is, you know? Yeah. Really. And then I'd add another one to that, which is like probably might go too far. That's what I wrestle with is like, cause I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't ever want to radicalize or approach things with an idea an ideology or like an, I know, but like, I would think that having some form of physical play and having some form of creative play and mm. both are the same or both are two different things seems pretty important. Cause I had a friend, he's a really good guitar player, right. In his youth though you could say this is more of a relationship to eating and not actual guitar, but he played guitar and he got like 300 pounds and like, like super, like super overweight. And he was 140 pounds. And like, he just like play, he got really, really good at the guitar, but like there's something that he'd have to deal with with his relationship with eating um, or his relationship somehow just with moving even a little bit. And like, and so I think about that a lot because with my son, it's like, we do all these physical things. Sometimes you don't like them. Sometimes you do. And it's like, how do I give you a foundation or a framework to go into this life with without telling you, because that's a, that's has a lot of problems without telling you exactly what to do and how to do it. And so it's like, I just try to talk to him. I'm like, well, try to find a way to play. Like this is more detailed, but this is just as a father to my son, try to find a way to play that gets you out in the woods. So that there's value for nature. Try to find a play that a way to play that stimulates your body and find a way to play that's creative and like, you know, creative and physical will seem, seem to be not just really important, but very, very fun and fulfilling when you figure out how to play that way in a way that you like. Mm -hmm. So you think there's a lot of attachment to the physical side of things? I, well, I do in the sense that I've seen people who, who don't, who like would work an office job, right? And and like in just that and without um doing some form of physical activity um they would become physically limited from even just doing their conventional like office job or, or whatever it is in the future um and i don't know if that necessarily is like everybody but i do see quite mm -hmm. a quite a lot of people we have it we got in this we got a camera here so i got people and i'm not necessarily saying it's like it's wrong because if you want to experience that or if that's okay, that's fine. But I have people here who walk like this. They go and they pick up their foot and they drag it down. And I see them, they get up steps like that. And like, and, and it's, it's, it's fine. But then a lot of the people that I talked to in like that older age when I was in the CBD industry, like they're just like constantly chasing medication to, in order to be like, to make themselves where they're alleviating their pain it's just it just sounds really like really sad and like a lot of suffering and i'd have like being in the cbd industry when we were um selling to like the niche of like um 
older folks, you know, who are really have like chronic pain. Oh my God. Like that was like, um, talking to people whose houses were being foreclosed on. Like, it's this like really sad situation or the situation with a lot of suffering, not sad. Um, and, and you see that they feel really stuck. Right. And like, and I, I do recognize quite a few people who are like, they don't have that physical play. And like, by the time they're 50, they look like some of my friends who are 90. And, mm. and, and like the same with the, the alcohol. Like if you like, if your only form of play is partying, you know, um, I've seen people who are 30 who look older than my mom and my mom's 60 and my mom's sedentary mm. and partied and all those other things. Like, and I'm not, you have your own predicament. That's fine. Mm. But if like, yeah. if I were to just loosely say, you know, just kind of like with like, uh, with eating, right. Like, um, I don't know, drink a lot of water is a pretty good one, right? Eat enough food, not too little, not too much. Um, if I were to give you a very general thing, it, I feel like it's the like some form of physical play, some form of creative play. And those don't necessarily even have to be, they could all feed into one another. They don't have to be serious or anything, like just moving. Because, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what it's like from, from where, like where you live, but I just see people who, if they're not in really hard labor, even then, actually, I like carpent people who do like car lay carpet and carpenters. I still see people like in their 40s and they're like backs thrown out and stuff like that. And they're like, be careful. You're only young for so long. And I have not found that to be true. I've actually found that to be contrary to the truth because I found 80 year olds who can perform like kind of similar to how I can. Not with the lifting of the weights. They lift some of these people who are really old. Um, but they're like going up like volcanoes and stuff like that. And I'm not saying you mm -hmm. have to do that, but the spectrum between chronic pain and not being able to like move, you know, and having to take some form of medication or some like uh, some plant medicine. Right. Um, and being able to go up like, you know, very impressive or like volcanoes, very hard things, whatever's in between that, that seems better than the, that extreme of chronic pain. And, and I don't, like you said, I, I, I do want to do everything that I can to not fall into that same pitfall of being radicalized and having a dogmatic approach in that what I in trying to say that I know something is true when I really don't know it's true. Cause I, I really don't even know about that. You know, like I, I know that sedentary life's probably not good, but I'm not going to say that that's bad and don't do that. And <gasps> I, I just, uh, I don't want to be that person. It really scares me. Cause I know that mm. you can get there without even realizing it until you're there. Yeah. Yeah. So here it's, it's um, really easy to be sporty. Like there's, I think Switzerland is really highly ranked on, on running and cycling. And mm. so the general population does a lot of, does a lot of sport. So, you know, you sort of get, go with the flow. Um, what I noticed, I mean, can I say I, I've, I've, I was in Miami like five years ago and what really struck me there, this, this conversation goes a lot further, but what really yeah. struck me where was that you have super fit or you have super unfit. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that here. We have, we have more of an average fitness sort of thing. Oh, so wow. you don't find any super obese and you don't find, but like the super Iron Man either, you know, mm -hmm. it's just like we have a, a better sort of average um, um, health, it, it all goes down as well to medical care and stuff like that because you know i saw a lot of people in in wheelchairs in the states like yeah like, like that's what i'm saying like a lot. 
really, yeah, really physically not able to do. I was like shocked, you know, I was like, wow, what, what do these people have and why don't they get treated and why aren't they moving and why are they, you know, My mom, a lot of people can't afford it. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. They can't afford it. And then also um, there's another thing where you go to a, a, a physical therapist and people will, so it, this is, I can generalize. This is a very common is that they won't do the physical therapy um, and they'll take the medication. And that, yeah. that's, and that's so common that you talk to physical therapists, if they're not a sports, you have to be careful here in the States of not going to, if you're into athletics, if you go to a physical therapist and they don't know that they're going to prescribe thing, they're going to treat you as if you're not going to do their program, or they're going to give you like the, the, the very easiest, simplest program, because the likelihood of follow through statistically speaking is so low. And I have people who are like, you, you see, you've talked about it, but you, and it's indicative of the advertisements that you see sometimes too, where it's like, hey, here's the pill for weight loss or blah, 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 blah. And it's like mm -hmm. this, like, I need these results, these results. And it's like missing this, that we talked about the process thing. Um, but I, I see that with, with people a lot because a common thing is, is overweight and diabetes. And like, mm -hmm. in that same person, I talk to them about like fitness and stuff like that. And it just, just turns off. And Here's another one to just paint a little bit more of a picture. Like my mom, um, she, she's 60 and rides, would try to ride a bike um, because it was so many years, like five, 10 years um, of, of without riding a bike. She didn't have anxiety riding the bike because mm -hmm. she she's going to lose control or fall over. And she was like, my wrists hurt from riding the bike. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, my son and I just rode a bike for like two hours and like, for me, that was easy for my son. That was like cardio tiring, never complained about our wrists or our bodies. And I'm like, it just gave me a lot of anxiety because when my mom was doing that, she's only comfortable going a half a mile from the house. But like when my son and I are riding bikes, I have 50 year olds who are doing like going to this other town and coming back. And that's like 50 miles. I'm not criticizing my mom or other people in these experiences but like what you noticed is is like these extremes and these people mm -hmm. who are operating these extremes are like i'm not even talking about being physically unwell like kind of like mentally unwell in some way and like get easy to stress right like easy mm -hmm. to become anxiety or, or whatever that is it's that stress management and like and i even see the we talk about like going up um snowboarding or skiing or i go rock climbing the the when i talk to people who don't like engage with that sort of thing their ima their imagined risk the 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 what they imagine the 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 things to be afraid of going into it are mm. so much more extreme than the reality of it it's just, mm. it's so interesting to me. It almost reminds me of someone, if you're driving a car, right? And you get that, like that older person, I'm generalizing, but like that older person who's like driving really slow and really careful. And then you get like um, a professional racer, right? Like Ken Block, who's like going around turns extremely fast, drifting and getting like, like inches away from walls and stuff like that. Like he feels anxiety like everybody else does, but he's like, you know, been conditioned himself. It's like you did to failing, yeah. but like to him to making mistakes or crashing to such a high level that like his whole mind space 
relatively speaking, looks a lot different than like my mom. So we go and we go snow to the snow and she sits in the car most of the time while we go sledding because it's, it's cold. She doesn't want to slip, like all of these things. And I used to think when I was younger, and I know a lot of people who would confirm this that are older, that, oh, she's getting old. But that's not true because I've met old people who are like, not like that. And they die up in the mountains. And I, I say that because they die in their 90s in the mountains from like falling or some risk, right? And then there's all right. the other old people who don't die at all because it's not really that like risky. So, so I get afraid of that because I see people like there's a guy who's in his middle, like, um, uh, like in his mid thirties. Right. And he was on a podcast and his name's like Ben green. Um, and he's like a really popular comedian and he's from Canada. He's got a van. Right. And he, he's living out of his van with his dog. I'm not criticizing him. I just reflect and find this interesting. So what's risky to him is he drives his van and he goes up into like the, um, the wilderness areas where there's these dirt roads, you know, and not really maintained and there's no like infrastructure out there. Right. You could just kind of like camp out there. Um, and, uh, a town might be like a hour, half hour away. Right. Um, and then there's these hiking trails or you just go wherever you want in the woods. So he gets out of his van. He's like, yeah, I go on these like really awesome and intense, like, you know, mile hiking trips in my van. And he's like, I just wander in the woods. And then the other person was like, you don't get lost. He's like, oh, no, I, I just I come back. And he's like, yeah, it's cool. And they like, talk about these things. And you could tell it's a very intense and challenging experience. But like, and this isn't like, this isn't bragging at all. This is just to set it up in context. I'll go running 30 miles, 15 miles one way into backcountry that's unreachable unless it's by helicopter or you're going to go and hike to get out there. And I experience the same feelings that he experiences in that context and maybe like i didn't get it to that level of only leaving a mile from my van or car mm -hmm. but like a five mile backpacking trip was really scary for me and now mm -hmm. i'm running 30 miles in a day by myself with just a quick first aid and it's only me like if i hurt something i gotta get myself out of there like call search and rescue and and i look at that and i look at how i'm growing mentally and that's kind of what i wonder is is like do we is it should I recommend someone to find some things that widen your comfort zone? And is there a risk of not widening your comfort zone in certain ways? And I don't mm. really know, but it's probably worthwhile to go and throw some kettlebells like you <laughs> or lift something. I mean, try lifting some stuff, try running in your life. Like, yeah, I, I don't know where it comes from because if you think about it, like death is at the other end, like whatever we do, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, somebody said, okay, if you don't do sport or if you don't have fun, you might actually live forever. And if you do do sport, you might injure yourself and you could actually die earlier. Then I would understand that people go, ah, I'm not sure I want to take the risk. Mm -hmm. But fact is, we're not going to survive it. So we might as well have fun on, on the way. So I couldn't, you know, I would, yeah, it just seems, it just seems more like slow death. Yeah. If you're just sitting around waiting for it, you know, or not risking anything or not doing anything, you know, where's, where's the joy in that? Like mm. what, what salesman tried to, you know, throw that at me. I mean, it's just like, a deal. like, yeah, you've got to, I mean, definitely. And I feel that my family has always been sporty. So we've always been, you know, like outdoors and, 
and my my dad's 80 and he still gets on the bike and you know they oh, it's cool just like like he loves it you know he just they're, they're really really physically fit and healthy which is really cool for me as well as a daughter just to know that you know they're mentally healthy and fit and doing well and yeah it's just but like I said, you know, it's it's disposition. I mean, a lot of people, I don't know where this angst comes from or um, uh, whether it's got to do with scared of death or scared of hurting yourself or scared of not paying the hospital bill or um, scared of pain. Like you were talking about hunger, you know, you could make, I'm not saying you should make pain your friend, but to a certain extent, pain belongs to life. That's yeah. just how it is you know so we might as well like failing you know where you just learn to deal with it and just avoiding failure or avoiding pain or um avoiding negative experiences just you know turning a blind eye and pretending it's not going to happen that's not going to help because at some stage it's going to hit you and then you're going to have to deal with it you know so um I, I, yeah it's a lot easier to put yourself out there and and make sure you experience different things be it positive or negative because it's going to build you as a person. You just not, you can't be stationary. Like that's, that would be a nightmare for me. You know, that would be the day I'd say, um, I'm leaving. See ya. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be a part of, of that kind of, uh, mindset. Yeah. It seems like really bad and lost and, and yeah, not happy. Yeah, not, exactly. Yeah. It's very commiserating in that way. I, I actually find that with like, if you don't they have this thing with like i'm not religious but like uh idle hands or like the devil's play or something like that and like it's wow. very like but that was like very protestant values that like came over in the culture of the united states and what you see is is that we create this like mentality of like being busy right and like being productive you know and mm. i think that's like i would disagree with with how the perspective that that's been taken on um but how i would like to like co-opt that right for my own purposes are that i've noticed because i've grown up in a culture um or in a subset a small culture where the people would drink and like just just do a bunch of drugs i don't have any conflict with drugs just think of drugs are more of the like everything else or the relationship that you have to them is very mm -hmm. much the definition of like you know that the dysfunction or constructive relationship whatever um but i would see that like people would use drugs for like uh like alcohol specifically very exciting experiences you know to like something to look forward to something fun mm -hmm. something to alleviate these feelings you know um and kind of a way to like play in, in some strange way uh what i found was interesting is that when you do kettlebells um, or even, I guess, when you're like trying to improve maybe your job, move up in your job, something like that. Um, whenever you like focus on improving something, you actually um, bear, voluntarily bear the burden of conflict. So like drama, I would say. And that drama can be internal. Like you go and try to do the kettlebell and you have the drama in your head of like hesitation. Um, what, I, what I think with that the idle hands kind of saying is that I've noticed when people were just like going to work plateau, I know how to do this job. I'm going to keep doing this job. I've been doing this job for you. Like, it's a very much a mindset. Like I've gotten comfortable at this job. I don't want to move up. I know how to do it. I know what to expect. Um, 
this becomes routine and mundane. And I noticed a lot of interpersonal drama. There would be like nothing going on, kind of like chill weekend, you know, chill week, chill weekend, keep going, keep going, kind of nothing going on. And then like this building tension. And then like usually it would end, escalate into interpersonal drama. And I would meet this subset of culture, some families were like, what they would do is they would cyclically like big fights and then and then big fight like like screaming fights like to the to the high degree right um and i always wondered about that because when i was doing martial arts and stuff i even had a coach who'd like try to fight like 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 the coach that i former coach that i had would have a lot of struggle with dealing with con with personal conflict right and what I find with these martial arts and even dealing with conflict with the kiddos is that I had no desire for conflict. Like I was almost like recreationally um, doing conflict and I had no more room for more conflict. So when people would try to bring conflict onto me, it's just like I wouldn't get all <gasps> riled up, you know, even with my own son. And it's just a lot easier, like, cause like you work those demons out, you know, and that's how I feel with like, for me, weightlifting um running fast like fast running not easy running um martial arts you know those three things um rock climbing doesn't really help that much those like really like putting your energy into something um i don't strive to make conflict i in fact like do everything that i can to eliminate conflict in my life and i don't and i wasn't that person sometimes someone would say something and i'd be like oh and then i'd rile up reeling up for the conflict right um and yeah, it's just something that I reflected on though, is like those people that have drama in their life, there must be like some trigger for that or some kind of desire for that. And like, mm -hmm. I must desire for conflict, but since I've been doing martial arts, I don't, you know, have conflict in my life as much. And when people try to have conflict with me, I try to remove myself from that conflict. And it was like, I didn't disciplinely say I'm going to handle conflict better. I just did. Mm. So I was always kind of wondering what that was. And, you know, weightlifting for the kiddos, it really worked to get their aggression out. So I always wondered that. Like, we always have this inherent need for conflict, but we can fulfill it in ways that are like not interpersonally destructive. But I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I felt like what you were saying about, um, you know, be it drugs, alcohol, or anything. I just thought for me, it was really important. If everything was cut off, I should be able to handle myself without any outer influence so um yeah i'll smoke weed but anything else isn't really of any interest uh, i'd always imagine okay if you were just stuck on on an island and you had nothing with you like you didn't have your pills you didn't have your drink you didn't have your drugs you didn't have you want to feel fine you know you don't want to you don't want to be dependent on some outside source yeah. to make you feel good because once it gets taken away, I mean, that's a huge power, you know, that's mm -hmm. a huge power. Another thing I've noticed, especially recently and now, especially with, um, with this, this whole virus thing is fear, how powerful fear is. I reckon, you know how they used to make, um, like the James Bond films were always about gold or oil or yeah. water. Romans. I think that like the next, in a couple of years, it's going to be fear, you know, the, yeah. the power of fear over people, what you can, make them do if you tell them that things will go wrong if they try something out and um, people are a lot more prone to we have a lot more influence as well you get a lot more information um you know it's like it's just 
yeah, you, you just you, you just listen to what people say and then you get all these negatives. If you if you have some kind of growth on your skin and you Google it, you know, it goes from anything to freckle to skin cancer, and you can just pick the one which is the most dramatic. Now, if you're mm-hmm. someone who has like, oh, it's probably just a freckle, I'll go and get it checked out. And another person, you know, he's like close to death. So <laughs> I think for me, it's always been important just to be able to, without any, you know, if everything else was cut off and I just had water and, and food, would I be fine? Yeah, I would. I'd probably, you know, miss the occasional smoke, but I wouldn't withdraw. I wouldn't have anything which I needed to, to make me get on in life, you know, and I could, I could, yeah. yeah. I could climb a tree with a coconut as well because, you know, I've been training kettlebells. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the, I came to the similar conclusion because like I quit drugs roughly because I'd drink coffee and smoke cigarettes. But like for four years when my son was born and then I developed a um, a financially unhealthy addiction to nuts. <laughs> and so like I do auto glass and every time I would um, get gas, I'd start buying a bag of nuts, like just a bag of almonds is two bucks, right? And then that became every day. Like every day I had to get gas in my van. So that was five days a week, $2 a day, $10, $40 a month, right? And then I'm like, oh, that's like over $400 a year. And then I would like, um, I would buy nuts and then I'd take them with me in the van. I'd look for another excuse to like, maybe I'd run out what I'd have for the day because there's a point of eating too much nuts, even if I had infinite money, right? Not good for you. And then like, or I would imagine, and then I would run out and I'd buy them at the gas station. So then what would happen? I'd get so frustrated. I keep just discipline, discipline, willpower, and so exhausted, not working. (laughs) And like, um, I started going twice a day to go and buy nuts. (laughs) And then I'm like thinking to myself, I'm all frustrated um, because before that, I even realized that I was starting, I, before I had this nut problem, I was developing a coffee thing and I quit doing that because like $5 a day in coffee, it's oh, like, not probably. Oh. <laughs> and Go I, ahead. I realized, like I would, I used to scoff at people at the time who were drinking and going to the bar and like, cause I realized they would like waste you know hundreds of dollars a week sometimes. And I'm like, huh, oh, I don't do that. Look at me. I don't even do any drugs really. And then like some smoking cigarettes or drinking coffee. But um, I realized that, Whoa, man, I'm like, this is where the real ignorance can- comes in is <laughs> I thought if I push drugs away, because the drugs are the problem, that no problem. And I get, I developed this, you know, relationship, unhealthy relationship to nuts. And I'm like, oh, it's in here I got to work on. It was valuable for me to take this thing that I developed an unhealthy relationship with, go away from it for a really long time, build a perspective on who I am separate of that thing. And then I'm like, you know what? The real work for me is now is probably doing that and then practicing self-control as I restart into that. And this is an opportunity to develop that relationship with myself of one thing, something becomes something that I enjoy to a, uh, to a habit that's running my mm. life. And that like, I need to feel that out. That's the important part. And then, um, cause I like marijuana, like, and I like, you know, mushrooms and I don't have, let's face it. I don't take mushrooms or acid too much. That's kind of, that'd be a really weird situation. Um, for, from my perspective, like, yeah, but, um, from the weed. So I'm like, okay. Then I start building that relationship, right? And then I still like the failure that you talk about. I fail sometimes. I fail with food. I fail with weed. I fail with coffee. Um, I don't smoke cigarettes, but like, 
even though I don't smoke cigarettes, I don't, I still fall prey to addictive habits. So I'm not going to come to mm. you and look, look at my accomplishment. Like, cause it mm. kind of is, it's good for my health, but like, I'm still struggling with that same thing. It didn't go away. Right. I kicked this thing out of my life, but I'm still sometimes obsessive. I've done it with rock mm-hmm. climbing. Like what you talked about, I've done it with sport. I've done it with fitness. Like I just got to being there and telling my son about it. He's, I bite my nails, you know, like mm. I don't have like any nails at all. And my son is seeing bite his nails. Oh no, role modeling. And then he's like, we're like, let's have a challenge, you know? And uh, whoever bites their nails first loses. And I'm like, all right, his mom really struggles with alcoholism and like is an alcoholic and stuff. And he doesn't get to see her really. Um, it's hard to teach people about that. But I learned a great way to teach that accidentally because I don't struggle with that kind of stuff, right? Even my obsessed, like with the weed, right? I just use things too much. It didn't interfere mm-hmm. with my life really in a big way. Um, so we do that and I lose in two days. I bite my nails. He doesn't lose. He succeeds. He keeps going. And even I'm not biting my nails. We do it again. I play the game four times in probably two months and I lose. And I'm like, and I even had one time I've tried to cheat. And this is where like this, I I could go into a shame rabbit hole on you, but like, I'm like biting my nails. And he's like, what are you doing dad? I'm like, Oh, um, uh, there was dirt in my hand. And then I'm like, and he's like, dad, why are you like, why are you lying to me? And I don't want to teach him that it's, that it's, you know, okay to lie, but also he's going to get into the scenario one day when he's a kid and he's not going to want to fess up to it. And I'm like, listen, you know how your mom struggles with addiction? Like there's some things that I struggle with too. And while it doesn't like directly hurt you, I have a hard time overcoming this. Right. And that might be her struggle as well. You got to set boundaries so that they don't hurt you. Right. But like my nail biting isn't hurting you. So Mm. I'm going to keep trying. I might keep failing. And I'm sorry that I was trying to be deceitful. Like I really Mm. wanted to do better. And like, I really don't know, you know, how I feel about myself right now. I don't feel good about what I did. And I'm really sorry. And then like, Mm. Because that's that's me, and that that still is like even watching his mom and his. We could be like, oh, I could all day be like, God, it's like so many problems, and it really is. It's really sad, you know, especially not having your mom around, you know. But like, mm-hmm. I still, on some small level, have those struggles. He, on some small level, might have the struggles. It's a human thing. It's not necessarily always human for it to be so big that you know you're like homeless and stuff, but. that's where you could start to relate and you can start to learn and whatever you learn there, you know, you could tell people about your experience and it might help your mom or it might not, you know, it might help me or it might not like, it's just, and that's how you could like, it helps to prevent that resentment because that resentment will like lock you away from people, you know, and makes it really hard. But um, I do want to be respectful of your time though. Um, So yeah, we went, yeah, I'm sorry about that. No problem. Where, where could people no find problem. out more about you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to put myself out there. <laughs> if you want. <laughs> On my Instagram page. That's about it. Okay. Um, All right. www.steelworkfitness.ch uh, I could send you it. Uh, steelworkfitness.com.com. .com. Okay. And then do yeah. you offer remote coaching services too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do. Right. And then I'll be sure to drop those I'm in the pretty, show notes. Yeah. That would be really cool. I'm 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 pretty full at the moment, but mm-hmm. 
yeah, always open to like I could, yeah. There's there's always possibility. And if somebody wants to, there's a way. If if, if yeah, there's always a way. There's a will. There's a way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself on that one. <laughs> that one. <laughs> ah, yep. <laughs> First time I jumped in front of it though. <laughs> um, and I really appreciate your time. Sorry, we went really long. I got like really stuck no, away though in your conversation. Yeah, it was really cool. Really nice talking to you. Thanks for um, thanks for asking. Yeah. And uh, take care of yourself and your kid. Yeah, absolutely. And I hopefully take care of your boyfriend and your step kiddos and yourself. Yeah. And yeah, you're just such a cool chick. And it's really cool to see Thank like you. see you developing and like, especially the kettlebell juggling. It's probably one of my favorite kind of activities. And the more people that I see are really like into it, it just makes me really excited. And that's that thing, I guess. I want to proselytize the juggling. <laughs> <laughs> Because in martial arts, I'm always like that. I'm like, listen, it'll give you proprioception. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Concentration, coordination. Yeah. All that. You can work on it. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Thank you very all much. Right. Have a good day. All right. You too. <laughs> Bye. Care. Bye, Will. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye, Tonya. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. I love getting to talk with Tania. Or Tanya, I get confused on names sometimes, but she's really cool. And I love what she had to say about the flow state and her relationship with failure through her experience of juggling the kettlebell. Dropping the kettlebell is such a common experience, and we're all afraid to to hurt ourselves in one way or another. Um, But it's an excuse to be able to interact with that part of yourself, to to learn what failure is and and what your self-talk's like. And also the the flow state that you drop into just by throwing the bell and having to pick the bell up. It's like it almost commands a present state awareness. And it only takes a few minutes. I love it. (laughs) If you want to learn more about um, Tanya and her kettlebell program, you can go to steelworkfitness.com. You can also find her on Instagram at Pipa underscore KB lifter. It's two P's in Pipa. Um, I'll leave all the links to that in the show notes. And you can also find it on becomingahumanpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can head over to um, the dailystoic.com or on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and your favorite podcast app. They share a daily five-minute podcast or email newsletter that gives you actionable content to improve your life, and it is able to form all worldviews can access it without it um, feeling like it's in conflict with your worldviews. And Stoicism is beautiful because it's not... Some people might think that, you know, it's just teaching you not to feel and to disassociate, but it's it's a lot more than that. It's a way to assess our relationship with how we feel and the personal narrative that goes on inside. And it's very nuanced and complicated. But the beautiful thing is, is Ryan Holiday and um, and those that came before him, the Stoics, have worked to understand and um reduce the information to its essential quality. And that's what Ryan does. 
And if you want to support the show, just let them know Will from Becoming Human Podcast sent you. You can also go to becominghumanpodcast.com, um, drop a comment, share an episode with a friend, uh, rate it on your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can even pick something up from our uh, store, which you can find on becominghumanpodcast.com. And I'm going to play you out with this beautiful song called Blackbird by Tosh Sultana. Hope y'all have a beautiful week. Bye. Oh, blue.